Hello and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace. As always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I've had a, a pretty good week. I went, uh, I, I, I won both days of Versus this week. That's always nice. Spoiler alert. Barry Corey live on TV. Love it. Yeah, you know, we played a lot of historic because that's the the tournaments this weekend are, are all historic, and there were some big tournaments the last weekend too. So, got to dive into that format a little bit. Played the sort of tier one decks on Tuesday and more fun decks on Thursday, and uh, you know, that's my, that's most of my week at this point. If I do well on versus, like you know, that's, that's that, a good that week. Weeks made. Weeks yeah. made. We're good. Yeah. My my trivia league ended this week. This the season. So we we do four seasons a year. Each one is twenty five days. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I finished middle of the pack, but if you remember, because I've probably talked about this before, yeah. I got promoted last season. So I was the highest I've ever been. I was in the, in the B level and it, it goes A through E. And I spent most of my time in the, I've been doing the league for like three, four years and I was I'm most of the time in C. Occasionally I got demoted from C into D and I went, it was actually two, uh, two seasons ago. I got demoted down to D for the second time. Immediately, uh, did well enough to get promoted to C. Then immediately got promoted from C to B for the first time. And then th- this season, I, you know, I held my own. I was below average in terms of like, you know, uh, correct, you know, question rate, but I got pretty lucky that I had, I think, lowest or second lowest opponent, you know, correct question rate right. on the season. So r- ran pretty hot with my opponents just having bad days a lot of the time. Um, but I've had like three pretty good seasons in a row. You know, historically I've been right about fifty percent. In the last three seasons, I'm about fifty-seven, fifty-eight percent combined. Uh, so I don't know if I've gotten better or I'm a little bit more, you know, in tune. You know, after my appearance on Jeopardy, I actually like, like I wasn't watching the show as much. I moved to Roanoke. I don't own a TV, so it's like uh, surprisingly difficult to watch Jeopardy if you don't literally own a TV. Yeah, you know? I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah. so I just kind of stopped watching. And, it, you know, probably my trivia chops just, you know, declined a little bit, but I think they're, they're getting back up there. You know, the, the Jeopardy sub challenges on, uh, on my stream keep me a little sharp too. So, you know, that, that's, that's over now. So I have no trivia. You know, I have, uh, you know, I have versus, but now, now we've got NBA basketball coming back. So now my I mood. Say, I just want to say, sorry, next week you're going to be way less bored. Yeah. Yeah. My mood and my mood will fluctuate entirely based on how the Jazz are doing. Yeah. You, you, it'll be very easy to tell. I'm hoping they do pretty well this year. I have, uh, I've done one of my fantasy base basketball drafts. I think I have another one this weekend, but I have two uh, Utah Jazz players on my team, so I'm, I'm hoping that they do so well this year. You, you showed me one of your rosters, and I saw Conley, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember. I, I'm not a big fan of Conley for fantasy this year. I think he's going to take a slightly diminished role. But the, what I liked about that roster was you had both of the Chicago guys, Levine and Kobe White. I like both of them. Yeah, those are my, like, so I I don't do as much in-depth stuff as I do in, like, you know, because, you know, every year when you draft your baseball team, you're always like, hey, who are your big sleepers this year? And I have been knocking it out of the park the last few years. Like, my my guys this year were Trevor Bauer and you Darvish, and, like, they were one and two in the Cy Young. The year before, I had Hinjin Ryu, who hadn't, like, pitched more than, like, 50 innings in a season, and he almost won the Cy Young and got himself a huge deal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this year, I did, like, a tiny bit of research, and... Uh, I really wanted Zach Levine a lot because of like where his average draft position is, like where he goes. Yeah, he's he's just super underrated. He's like two rounds better. Like most of yeah. the players that you're taking two rounds because I got him in, like the fifth round or something, and I'm like, dude, he produces the same as like a third rounder. And then uh, Cody White, like huge Kobe. upside. Kobe, whatever. Sorry, yeah. um, he spells it he, differently, but it, yeah. it, it's C O B Y Kobe. 
Yeah, he he finished the season so strong last year. Yeah, and uh, he he was a rookie last year, and that usually the biggest jump the players make is actually between year one and year two. Yeah. So, like rookies who show promise, they those are really good candidates, I think, for fantasy drafts for year two. Um, and and they're the two best players on that team. They also uh didn't extend qualifying offers. So like uh people who don't know, like when when you have when you draft players. They usually get, you know, two years and sometimes some team options after that. And at the end of their rookie contract, you they become a restricted free agent. You extend them what's called the qualifying offer, which is usually pretty low. It's like some percentage of what people at their position make or something like that. Almost nobody accepts it. But they have the, the players the option to accept it or they can go get offers from other teams. And you, you once you accept an offer from another team, you show it to your team. That team has the option to match that contract, and you stay with the team you're on. Right. Or if they decline to match, you go go to the other team, and or you can not extend a qualifying offer. And now they're an unrestricted free agent; they can just go wherever they want. It's the player's choice. They chose not to extend qualifying offers to two of their guards, Shaq Harrison and Chris Dunn, which is a, just a huge sign that they want to move forward with Zach Levine and and Kobe White. Now. The, the two pairs that they are very different players, you know, White and, um, and Levine are offensive minded guards and the other two are very defensive minded guards. It was weird to me that they declined both. I thought they would like keep one for depth, but, um, you know, it's very clear that they believe in, in Kobe White and, and Zach Levine. Zach Levine's already good, right? Um, he, he was part of the Jimmy Butler trade. He came over from Minnesota, but, uh, that, that's what I liked about your team. I haven't seen yeah, the other yeah. roster though. What's the other yeah. roster like? Oh, no, I haven't done that one yet. I think okay. I have another one coming up. No, the, the thing that I like about my team is like a lot of my picks were either big upside for where I got them or just high volume players. You know, guys that like touch the ball a lot, you know, put up 20 shots a game, 15 shots a game. Because in basketball, I find a lot of the stuff is like people overpay for names, which happens in a lot of sports. Too. Oh, yeah. And I'm more about court time and touches. I want the guy on the court, yep. and I want him touching the basketball, and that's what matters to me. Yeah, when I look for, we do IDPs in, in fantasy football, and I look so much at just how what percentage of defensive snaps do they play? Are they like a specialist, or are they playing 60, 70, 80% of their snaps all the time? Yeah, is he like the middle linebacker? Is he like a you know a, a, de- a defensive end? Like somebody that's like I am on the field a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, like that kind of stuff. And so yeah, I just want people that are in involved in the play. like. I don't want to have to be hoping one of my players just has has like an, an absurd game. Like just just do your averages. Yeah, I, I will say that while I don't think Conley is going to produce at uh, the same volume, uh, that well his one of his last season was underrated anyway because he started getting it together uh, towards the end of the season. I actually expect him to exceed last season's numbers, but he's, I think he's going to be really efficient. And I don't know exactly what the scoring system is like. Like I've heard that some, in some leagues you got like negative points for missed shots. Yeah, you do get negatives in this league, so like he's he's better in this league. Yeah, so if if, if you're a league that values efficiency, then you know Conley can can, can get a lot better. And yet, who, who's your center on that team, or some of your big men? We just named a bunch of guards. So do you want me to just like read you the main roster real quick? Yeah, read like the top five or uh, six guys. Okay, so other, other than Con- those three. Yeah, Mike Conley, uh, Bradley Beal, uh, okay. Brandon Ingram, a- Anthony Davis is my center. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, the, re- the rest of your roster was just good. And, and Hassan Whiteside, like, this is this is another one that I'm a little worried about because it matters if he starts or not in Sacramento. I still think if he doesn't start, he's going to be playing, you know, 25 to 28 minutes a game. And if, if he plays 25 or minutes or more a game, he's one of the best producers per minute in the NBA, like, for, for fantasy-wise. Fantasy yeah, wise. yeah, like, because he, he's raw really stats. high rebounding rates. Yeah. 
Yeah. He also just doesn't miss and stuff. So, like, you know, he gets a lot of blocks and stuff, too. Uh, yeah, he, like he's, he's sort of a stat chaser. So that that's the kind of guy. He's I kind of compare him to uh, to John Kitna, who was a favorite of mine in fantasy football like 12 years ago. Yeah. He wasn't very good as a quarterback. But he threw but, like 35 touchdowns every year. Yeah, he because he was in that Detroit system with Mike Martz, and they just threw all the time. So, yeah, no, that that team that team sounds solid to me. Yeah, I, I like the team a lot. I think it's going to be very competitive. And it's like you said, so like I also identified that I think point guard is one of the deepest positions in fantasy basketball, like especially for if you only have like, you know, 10 or 12 people in your league like I did. And if you don't get one of the elite guys, I'm not going to overpay for a guy in like the third or fourth round when I can get, like, a really good shooting guard. Like, that was the biggest thing for me, is, like, I wanted Levine and I wanted Bradley Beal because shooting guard seems like one of the, like, specifically that position that you have to fill seemed a little shallower. So I was like, I'm going to take one of the lower-end guys because I knew that I was going to take Kobe White, especially where, like, where my picks lined up. I was like, I took him ahead of his average draft position, but still really late in the draft. And he's going to outperform his 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 pick, you know, his pick spot. Like, he's only rostered in 58% of the league, which seems really low to me, unless you have... Not a lot of people in your league, and not a lot of yeah. roster spots. I, I honestly could see Kobe White putting up twenty points a game this year. I mean, I I one hundred percent think he's going to. I think him and Levine are going to average fifty points a game between the two of them, maybe fifty five. Yeah, you know. fifty five is a lot. Fifty is already a stretch, think, but that's I think fifty. I, yeah, I think I think fifty is a good high. Like I think that's that's a good high end. Yeah. that they could definitely I, hit. I, I, I meant to say forty five fifty, not fifty five fifty. I meant like forty five fifty, but like I think they're gonna in. Just I knew that I was going to get him, and then I got my uh, like my sneaky pick that I like just for like little spurts and Alfred Payton, the 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 Knicks point guard. I don't think he's very good, right? Oh, I don't think not. he's very good point guard, <laughs> but he's a stat monster when he plays. Like he's just like a triple double waiting to happen, and having him on the bench for like the odd games when you know your people are sitting out is a big deal. So yeah, just that also, kind of also thing. the Knicks suck, and somebody has to put up numbers on that yeah, team. Somebody, right? He's going to start in like yeah, he's, he's yeah, somebody's got to do something there. And I'm a little worried about a few of my picks, you know, like with uh, Hassan Whiteside, Kevin Love, Buddy Heald. But, like, if one or two of them hit, I think my team's going to be very, very solid. I mean, yeah. we you know what Buddy Heald is going to do. I would expect him to, you know, pretty ma- match what he's done the last two or three years. Yeah, but I'm worried, though. Him and his uh, him and his coach do not like each other, and he got he got benched last year. He lost his starting role. That is true. So, uh, but I don't think there. his minutes went down that much. I think it, it just changed it. They might have actually. I, I don't follow the Kings very closely. He's also um a, he's a pretty big candidate to get traded. Yeah, I would say, um, which could be good, could be bad. You know, if he gets traded to a good team, it's likely that his role diminishes. Yeah. Uh, but if he gets traded to just a bad team for whatever reason, then that could be really good for him. So uh, I, I'm not the kind of guy that like goes out of my way to watch basketball games, right? Like you know, last season I may have watched a few, like a handful of games. Could just, m- in fact, most of the games that I watched were games that I'd be watching with you. You know, when we'd be on like trips and stuff. I will probably get around to watching a good bit of the uh, I almost said Hornets, a good bit of the New Orleans Pelicans games uh, this year. I made sure to get a New Orleans player on my team, but it also made shit sense to take Brandon Ingram where he was. He's just a stat monster. You know, I think he's going to take another step forward this year. You know, like that they're going to be probably like number two or number three in pace uh, this season. You know, uh, with the roster changes they made, so like. I, I expect him to touch the ball a lot, and I expect him to be a very high-volume player. You know, like, he, he averaged, like, 18 field goal attempts last year. Like, that's a big thing on my roster. Like, if you look at my roster, I've got multiple guys who averaged 18 or more shots per game, and then multiple guys who averaged over 20 shots a game last year. Well, the one thing I would look into with Ingram is what what usage did he have after Zion returned? Yeah, like did that you, was a thing did, too. Yeah. You can like look at it as game logs or splits or whatever and get an idea of if there was a significant decline there. 
that would be my one worry. But I do believe that Ingram is also just underrated. And those kind of guys I bet are really good in fantasy who are just like averaging 20 plus points a game, shooting well from three, and putting up stats and like, you know, rebounds and assists. Yeah, they don't kill you. They're not like one rebound a game, you know. Um, yeah. I, I did think along your lines of being like, well, you know, Zion's going to take a more prominent role, maybe even like the number one role in a lot of spots or whatever. But then I thought about it. I was like, well, you also lost Drew Holiday off the roster this year. So that's a lot of shots that need to be re-spread out and scoring. It needs to be re-spread out. So I think it's going to at least break even that, in that kind of way. That's a team that that's just a little bit um, up in the air as to exactly how the, you know, how the ball is going to be distributed because, you know, yeah, they, they lost your holiday, but they got Bledsoe who take, you know, took a good amount of shots in Milwaukee. Uh, and that's with the, you know, two super high usage players in, in Chris Middleton and, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, and then, you know, Lonzo and, and Redick are going to take some shots. I wanted Lonzo pretty bad in this league as like a decent backup point guard. Cause if he ever just took the role and ran with it, I think he could be a good fantasy player. Cause he's along the lines of what we're saying. We're like, he'd, chips in in every category and he's been shooting better at three uh yeah no he's he's legitimately like a he's not a he's not a good shooter um he's not a great shooter yet because he doesn't really do it at high volume but but he's a very capable shooter you can't just leave him out there yeah i will say this he still has one of the ugliest shots i've ever seen in my life but yeah yeah it doesn't look good but but if it goes in who cares yeah nobody cares if it looks good reggie miller had weird form too I mean, a, a lot of the three-point shooters back in, like, the 90s and stuff had the weird, like, I think of Steve Kerr, like, the push, you know, about, like, the two-hand, like, almost, like, push three, where it looks like he's almost doing a push-up or whatever, but... Yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of, um, I don't know, what like, sort of when it became in vogue to, like, study the real mechanics of it, but that's become something popular, you know, in the last decade or two. Yeah. So, uh, pretty excited to watch some games, just because, you know, break up the monotony, um... You know, football is like, what, one or two days a week, which, by the way, uh, I, I haven't been as religiously watching LSU football this year because we kind of suck. By the way, we're 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 in jeopardy of being the first defending champion in like 70 years to put up a losing record uh, wow. in, the, in the season after. But we did just have a humongous win over this weekend. We beat Florida in Florida to like r- probably wreck their chances at a national title. They were like undefeated. Their quarterback was like on pace to win the Heisman and stuff and like. It, that's a really bad loss to lose to LSU with our third string quarterback. We had, we only had like 40 something scholarship players make the trip to the game. Normally you have like 70 or whatever. Yeah. And, stuff. and then, uh, you know, the, again, the back, the backup quarterback, but the best part about this, did, did you hear about how, okay, well one, if you haven't seen the highlights, there's an absurd interception highlight where like it goes off the fingertips of the receiver at like a sideline, then bounces like off his fingertips into a defender's face <laughs> right and then it comes back at the receiver and then the guy that was covering him is kind of out of bounds and has to shove himself back in bounds and catch the ball before it gets to the ground all this happens in the span of like 2.4 seconds so it's yeah. like you know bang bang and it just happens really great but the way we won this and it's funny because like a lot of people are making a lot of memes out of this and stuff has been on social media is we were driving late in the game and they actually stopped us but when they like made the defensive stop one of our players shoes came off so there's a shoe on the field and one of the Florida players decides to pick up the shoe and throw it down the field. And so the ref's just like, like, what are you, what are you doing? It like just throws a flag. He's like, unsportsmanlike. I've never heard this uttered. The ref in his mic literally goes, unsportsmanlike conduct. The player threw a shoe. Uh, 15-yard <laughs> penalty, you know, penalty or whatever. It's really like automatic first down. And then we end up hitting like a 53-yard field goal through all this fog. Wow. So like, Which is insane yeah, in to, college. To, to, well, yeah, anything over forty yards is pretty insane in college. By the way, kickers are yeah. they're you, getting better over the last few you, years. But you basically like add ten yards 
to go from yeah. college to the NFL or subtract 10 from the NFL to like, you know, yeah. comparable. Just the regular averages too. Like the kickers were just bad because there's you need so many kickers and no one's just like elite at kicking. You know, no one's in high school like yeah, I would you know be the kicker for LSU or whatever. You yeah. Know? Like, you know, sorry for any kickers out there. I'm not trying to hate on you. Just it's not the position kids want to play. You know, they want they want the ball in yeah. their hands. You know. I mean, you talk about so. professional kickers. It's literally 32 out of you know the last 10 to 15 years of classes. So you know, in all of college football, there might be two to three that become reasonable NFL kickers. Speaking of kickers as well, did you, you know, did, you see, did you see that this weekend a female player scored a point in a Power Five conference football game? For I the did first see time that. In history, yeah, Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt's kicker is a is a female player, and she kicked a couple extra points this weekend. So that was actually really cool because she played uh, their prior game, which I think was two weeks ago. I think they had like a week off or whatever, if I remember right. But you know, just her being on the field is is a, is a big deal. And then like now, this is actually pretty cool. So I just blanked on her name. I, I do know it. I've seen it all over Twitter. Like, you know, I was liking some stuff or whatever, but uh, some pretty cool stuff there. But uh, I got to rub it in. One of the players that I play uh, Call of Duty Warzone with a lot is a Florida fan and was talking massive shit leading up to this game. He's like, are you going to watch it? I was like, no, I'm not going to watch it. We're going to lose by four. We lost by 40 or whatever to Auburn. You know, and they're not even as good as Florida. And we had, and we were, I literally was in a call with him and he got real quiet. <laughs> like in the other game. And it's really funny. Oh, yeah. I'm the kind of person... I either go way overboard with shit talking or I just don't like you, you see me. I'm like generally kind of quiet and reserved. I want to watch a good game, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And so like, I kind of got real quiet. He's like, dude, you could, you could, you could say it, man. You could say it. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything, dude. I feel bad for you. And he's like, well, I was like, I legit was rooting for you. Cause I want to see you beat Alabama. I want to see something different. You know, see like Florida. Cause like their quarterback's fun to watch, man. He reminds me of Joe Burrow. You know, he's out there and he's just slinging it. You know, he's just like 40 attempts a game or whatever. And well, by the way, I fucking hate Florida's coach. He threw that kid under the bus after the loss and like, you know, it, it's cool. Who, like, who is, yeah, he had a bad game. Who is Florida's coach? It's not Urban Meyer anymore. He retired. Uh, no, right? I, I'm again. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, I'd have to Google it. I don't feel like that's a lot of effort to type in Florida head coach. You know, like, all right, I'll, fine, I'll do it. But he's just he's not a good interview. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, just the idea of a college football coach throwing his quarterback under the bus after a game is ridiculous. Like, yeah, just some of his quotes. Like I was 19. like, I was like, uh, it's Dan Mullen. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a name we're gonna recognize. It's Dan Mullen. He's kind of a he's kind of a What's the word I'm looking for? Douchebag, I guess is a good word. You know, he's not known as being whatever. And uh, the quarterback's Kyle Trask, who's having a great year. And it's just like, man, just so, you know, we talked about this. Like, if, you, if you're a fan of the show and you listen to the rants at the beginning, we talked about this with Fernando Tatis Jr. earlier this year when he hit that grand slam on the 3 0 yeah. count. And his coach, like, was like, yeah, I wish he didn't do that. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, if, even if you, even if you believe that, you don't say that to the press. You don't say that publicly. Like, you know, um, people talked about it with, you know, Bobby Cox, the, the legendary coach for the Atlanta Braves that, uh, you know, if something like that happened, he would support you publicly. And then he'd be like, afterwards, you'd be like, Hey, you know, come see me in my office. Right. And then you'd have a chat. You'd be like, Hey, that this is how we do it here. Like the, you know, like, blah, like whatever, you know, however, whatever, just don't, don't like shit on your players publicly, especially kids, man. This guy's like, yeah, Kyle Trask is what, it's, like, it's like way, di- way different optics doing it as a college coach than a professional coach. Too. Yeah, it's a 22-year-old kid. Like, come on, man. I'm 14 years older than this kid. Like, cut this kid a break. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. But do you want to talk about what we're supposed to talk about this week on the show? Yeah, let's let's move into it. We uh, is, uh, it, it, was, it was metal week for... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, what, what I, I... Like, it's Viking themed. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, um, I mean, like, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, generally, like... When I think of metal music and I think of like, you know, a, an album cover or whatever, you, you think of like some North mythology looking stuff, you know, they, they generally have like long beards or axes or something, you know, like, um, 
I have a song on one of my playlists that I got from. I don't know if you ever watched Caleb Durwood stream. I'm a, I'm a big Caleb Durwood stream fan, and his music. He he's a he's a metal fan, so he'd have a lot. His of His music has a wide range. Oh, he might Sometimes have the I'm on, range. and he's playing like fucking sea shanties. Yeah, <laughs> he has probably the widest range of music in in like all of Magic streamers. Yeah, it, it, it's it, actually impressive. And there's this there's this song I love. The name of it's just "Hail to the Hammer." It's from some like some band like that, and it's got like some some very Norse mythology like you know stuff to it. And like I was like, all right, it's cool. So I went down the the rabbit hole and stuff, and like you get that kind of vibe, and you get that kind of stuff from the indoctrinated, you know, from the outside. That's what it looks like. And so they did that this week with a lot of the previews, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about the show today. This, this is not the official start of preview season. It's, it's not the official cut. start. Yeah, they which, gave which us like some what? teasers, you know, just yeah. a, a few cards as a treat. Uh, you know, <laughs> before before the holiday, so we we got some presents here. So there's officially eleven cards revealed so far from the set, but four of them are the remaining uh, pathways from that cycle, which we knew were coming. So really, seven. Yeah, and so it's pretty cool. So uh, there was a few things that we knew were going to happen in the set, and a few things that like we we like that we might be calling back to. And we'll talk about that. One of which we knew the pathways were coming in. So the blue-white, the red-black, the green-black, and the green-blue um, pathways have now been printed in the standard. And I think this is going to be a big thing. You're going to see mana bases open up quite a bit. You're going to see some decks maybe be able to play a third color. Uh, when it comes to Pioneer, Modern, you know, you've seen some cool things, some cool innovations going on. And it's, it's an interesting thing, too. Like, when I think about this, we talked about this last week on the show, when I see, like, another of the two blue ones happen, it's like, well, now you might start seeing... Uh, boil have another weird effect in modern because that card has been so prevalent in the last year. It, it, it feels like boil's always kind of made its way in and out, but over the last year, like solid year, boil has been like it, it's really been since Mystic Sanctuary because yeah. that's the card that incentivized mana bases to include a ton of lands with the type island, and boil has been a response to Mystic Sanctuary. Uh, and now we're seeing some people, you know, go out of their way to try to avoid boil. By you know, uh, and maybe play boil themselves even in blue decks by playing a bunch of you know dual lands that aren't islands. The pathways will certainly contribute to that. To me, uh, I look at uh, the friendly color ones being the most important. You know, the enemy colors tend to have, have better mana right now, especially in historic and pioneer. And when I look at the Azorius land, you know, uh, Hengegate pathway, I'm looking at Azorius auras in historic. Uh, and, you know, maybe some sort of, uh, maybe Spirits decks, you know, wanting to play that. The Azorius Auras deck seems to be, like, one of the decks that's never really considered Tier 1 and just continues to put up good numbers. Someone always does really well with it. Like, they had the historic uh, Mythic Open recently, and a lot of people... I saw a lot of prominent players choose that as their deck and do really well. I don't know if it's more the lines of, hey, this is probably one of the easier decks to... I'm not saying the deck is easy to play, but it's probably one of the easier decks to pick up and understand your matchups as quickly as possible, like understanding what you need to be doing and sideboarding and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it has probably a little bit of a lower learning curve than the lines in some of the... Comp- like, that blue-green Karn deck that's getting really popular. <laughs> like, like Paradox that, Engine? That deck does not, like... I remember um, Autumn did really well with it, and Jim Davis is tweeting at her. He's like, can I, can, I get a, can I get a list for this weekend's Open? And they were like, I do not recommend you play this deck without any any reps you know you know kind of thing and you know blue at r seems like a deck that you know i feel like you can pick up and it's probably a little bit cheaper to make there's not even any mythics and stuff in it and if you wanted to make it paper you know if you randomly have paper magic going around it seems like one of the more affordable decks too yeah uh so that's one there and then i, I look at the Rakdos one 
there's a good number of Rakdos decks in Historic. There's Rakdos Arcanist and Rakdos Sacrifice. And then there's the Rakdos Midrange deck that's fallen off late in this standard season. All of them have bad mana. And I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know, you, they, they, they fell off in standard. And I was kind of thinking, I was like, why? And then I played some games with it. And I think I told you that I was like, I could never cast my spells. Like, if I didn't draw the dual land, like one of the dual lands, I could never cast my spells. And I could just never cast them on turn one without Temple of Malice. Like, Temple, I always have Temple of Malice. And I'm like, oh, I have this like one drop that I just can't cast. Or whatever, you know, in you know, in historic or in whatever. So another untapped dual land for them, I think, is a big, big step. You know, you have like Jun Sacrifice, like you're talking about the 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 mid range Rakdos decks, Rakdos Sacrifice. All these decks might incorporate this card. Yeah. Uh, th- to me, this is the most important of the four. Is, is the Rakdos one followed by the Azorius one? Unclear where the other ones fit. You know, Simic and Golgari. Uh, but you know, we'll see. They'll 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 see play here and there, right? I just don't think they that there aren't decks that immediately want a, a need a bunch of, of mana base help. Um, so for, for right now, those, those are the two that I I think make an impact. Yeah, and so like this is pretty big, right? Like these are, these are going to be, you know, if we do our which I think we're going to do our usual you know top eight show, maybe we should just not have these cards incorporated because like last time they were just the number one card. Yeah, yeah. on both. So we'll maybe we we'll, skip we'll make that those. we'll make that that stipulation. Yeah. That sounds good. Um. And bef- before we get on to the other cards, the, the, the two things I was talking about, the two things that we were talking about showing up in this set coming back, one of which hasn't happened yet, but I still think there's a chance it does happen, is I do think there's the chance that something, that snow might show up. I'm not sure. It, it's not looking likely, but I saw some stuff that made me think of it, so we'll see some of the artwork, some of the, the, the way the lands look like. We might get some snow-covered stuff, but that's that's a, a big stretch. The one that is back... That we haven't seen in quite a while. That isn't said. I'm just going to jump to this one as a preview card too, and then we'll kind of go from there. Is Changeling is back, Ross? It's been it's been a while. Yeah, I I don't think we've seen this. Was it in any sort of core set, or has it really it, been since Lorwyn? It might have shown up in like a supplemental product, maybe. Sure, sure, but it was never. It hasn't been in standard since Lorwyn. Like, it hasn't been a theme since standard. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm a, I'm not a hundred percent of that, but I'm like ninety something confident. Ninety percent confident, you know, saying that. And uh, let's just go ahead and read this card off everybody at home, because this one is a sweet one. I like this card a lot. This is Realm Walker. It's two and a green for a 2-3. It has Changeling, so it's a Shapeshifter. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and then you may cast creatures of the chosen type from the top of your library. Ross, this screams like elves to me. Yeah, I, I replied to multiple tweets about this card yesterday when it was revealed, uh, expressing my excitement over it. Uh, I think it was Emma Handy, you know, noted the, the very uh, clear synergy with Nettle Sentinel Heritage Druid. You can just keep blind elves from the top of your deck as long as they cost three or less, you know, ad infinitum. So that seems like a great engine that is available in modern. Uh, could really reshape the elf decks in modern because those have been typically more um, aggro focused, especially the Golgari lists that play Shaman of the Pack. Uh, then there was the Selesnya list that played the combo with, with Devoted Druid and Vizier, and you were really more focused around Azuri. Um, Azuri was a lot worse in in those lists. Realm Walker, the one that you've played yourself quite a bit. Uh, yeah, there, there was also a mo- like a mono green version with with uh, Beast Whisperer. Yeah, that I was, remember that. That hasn't had as much success. Realm Walker certainly pushes you more towards that style, uh, and uh, definitely something I'm interested in trying out. But um, I don't really see the card doing much for other uh, tribes. You know, when you, when I think about that ability, I I want to have a lot of mana available. And it's elves that you know that do that. 
Maybe it's a, a nice curve topper for like, you know, allies or slivers or something where you just want a, this huge critical mass to, you know, make your, your team really good. Uh, I could see it doing something like that in those kinds of decks, but mostly this to me is just an elf. It's a good elf. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good elf. I, I do think this card will show up somewhere. And here's the thing too, for anybody who does like finance or likes magic of other formats, this is one of those cards that it's, it's a rare, it's an, kind of an inconspicuous rare, but this is going to be like a five or $10 card because it's going to get played in commander. It's going to get played in some older sets. Like this is going to get played in, you know, some supplemental formats and stuff as well. So I see this card making waves in places other than just, you know, competitive magic other than just standard. Oh yeah. Other than just modern. So yeah, yeah, this is definitely a, if you're a tribal player in commander, like, and you can cast this card, this seems great. You know, it just sits around and, and draws you a bunch of cards. Um, so yeah, definitely has applications there. But I think for competitive play, the, the biggest, you know, Harbinger for this card is the Return of Changeling. So I know what, when we were talking about Zendikar Rising and the party mechanic, we had noted that we were, uh, that the plan for this coming year was to have that like wizard school set. So we're like, okay, we're going to get a lot of wizards in that set. And then there was that sort of D and D inspired set. Okay. Party is clearly, you know, four of the, the those four types are going to show up a lot in that set. We didn't realize that we were also going to get party bolstered in this set. So that's a surprise know, right? that really tells you that tells me that they want the party cards to be constructed playable and that they will be at some point, you know, maybe they're going to be, they, they basically haven't been playable just with Zendikar rising, you know, where they got tried a lot. They weren't good. Maybe they're fringe playable now and that's the plan. And then they're going to just sort of keep getting better as the more and more sets get added. And they're going to be pretty good over the summer uh, th that's kind of where, where I'm at now, but I'm excited to see what changelings they have that are just efficient, aggressive creatures, particularly in white, because I want to be playing Seasoned Hallowblade and Archpriest of Iona and potentially Linvala. So white is the color I'm really looking for the changelings in, uh, and we'll see exactly where they come. I, I don't, changeling was a, was not color limited in Lorwyn Block, right? It, no, it, it was it was in it was in multiple color. I think it was in every color. Yeah, I, th I think it was. I think it was in every color. I, I it's been a while, and I didn't draft a ton of that set. Um, it's really funny. I almost won a Grand Prix in that set, and I could barely tell you because like it's one of the only times I played the. I didn't even play the, the sets afterwards. I like went to a Grand Prix, almost won it in, in, in Lauren, and then I was like, "Yeah, I'm just done. <laughs> like, I'm out." <laughs> well, I mean, mic. like I didn't even play in the Pro Tour qualified before. I was just like, "Yeah, I'm done." Yeah, you know. So didn't even you uh, skipped a Pro Tour you were qualified for. Dude, it was you didn't get flights, right? Like, yeah, it yeah. was like here's here's an invite, show up. Um, I think I won like twelve hundred dollars for third place or whatever. And, you and know, it was a PT like, was, in like Japan. It was Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Okay. So I was just like, yeah, and I I knew one person going, and so like I could have like traveled with one person and like stayed with one person. So I was like, because this is this was you know fifteen years ago. So like I, I you know I didn't have the connections that I have now I, I didn't have anybody to test with I was like yeah man I was like really into poker at the time and doing really well I just got you know on a whim my friends were like yeah we're driving to Florida this weekend we're playing a Grand Prix uh, it's limited do you want to go I was like yeah sure and I watched them like I had never physically touched the set before I like watched them do a few drafts on Magic Online I had my own like I had a very strong opinion on the format on like what to do and what color to avoid and you could see it in all the decks that I played that weekend and what so, color did you I, avoid I wanted nothing to do with white okay that makes sense. That's I, I generally drafted lots of blue, like I was. Yeah, I, Silver Girl Dowser. I would literally take it over like every card in the set except for like ten, maybe that's including rare. Merfolk decks were often white. Yeah, I just played blue, whatever. 
No, was this before the the blue white Merfolk got printed? Was that like the next? Well, you still the the okay. big one was uh, I, like Summoner School that that sorcery sure, that made Merfolk I, tokens and yeah. you could rebuy. I never wanted to be base white. I'll tell you that, and there's a specific reason for it in the fact that your best card was Oblivion Ring. Right. The problem is is like. If your best card is a common, you want to get past that card, right? Like, you know, you're yeah. thinking of, like, Lash Out in red. There was some good removal in, in black, like, uh, Eye Blight ending and stuff. You wanted to get past these cards. No one ever passed an Oblivion Ring or the busted white card, the bu- busted white rares, like Mirinity, because you had so many ways to splash in this format with the yeah, uh, Traveler's like Amulet. Vivid Lands, vivid yeah, lands and Traveler's like, Amulet, yeah. Yeah, and so you never got past the good white cards. I didn't want to be base white because, like, I just found that all the commons and, like, uncommons were, were like, the weakest ones. You've, you, if you heard me talk limited a few weeks ago and talk about Kaladesh, like, I almost always want to be red in some way because it just it has the best card density, in my opinion. And that's a big thing in limited. I want my decks to be solid 1 through 23 through 24 cards. I don't want to have, like, 20 playables and be scrounging for a few. And the, the base white um, tribe was more uh, or one of the white tribes was giants was probably the weakest tribe you know um kithkin wasn't very good either if you were the only kithkin drafter yeah. in the table right yeah yeah same with giants like they were yeah. both shallow and good if you were the only one i drafted it so i was always fairies if i if i wanted yeah. i just wanted to play dream spoiler which is yeah i was gonna say uh my first draft i was blue green with like merfolk and like and just good green cards like i had i had garrick and imperial green had the, I had the like, most changelings i think so yeah y- you could like adapt a lot yeah. with green also you didn't need silver dust to be like absurd if you had like another creature like, just, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, two, that, the, yeah activating it for two or three was was more than yeah, enough. they can never win the game yeah so silver dowser for people who don't know it was one in a blue for a one one it was a uh, Merfolk itself, a fair, a fair, yeah, it was a, it was a Merfolk. Merfolk wizard. So yeah, Silver Gill is is like the the Merfolk whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to, uh, dude. It's been a while, but you it yeah. had an ability where you could tap it and target creature got minus X minus zero equal to the number of Merfolk slash wizards you controlled, right? Or Merfolk slash. I thought it was just Merfolk, but maybe it's Merfolk or wizards. I don't I don't remember exactly. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it, it up. Just, it just shrank creatures and made combat literally impossible. It was really this messed is back up. when you could stack damage and stuff too. Yeah, if I yeah. remember right. Like, oh yeah. So you this were doing was, this was this was the yeah, stack damage era. Uh, no, no, no. It's Merfolk and fairies. That's what it was. Merfolk and fairies. So you wanted to be like blue black if you could, obviously. But um, I just remember my deck had like two or three of these, and so just, I just like played on turn two, and I just be like attack, like attack you. Like you you can't like you can't block, and then you can't race me because I would just shrink your creature. So and, and this is why I just wanted to play Dreams Borrow Riches so I could kill your Silver Guild houses really easily. Oh, yeah. and and all Pepper Smokes too. Yeah, in my winning in, in my winning in, I I think yeah, I win game one in the back of like my second deck had like seven rares in it, like legit like seven rares, and I win on the back of like I think on like turn four I play a rare, right, and then turn five they play a rare creature, and I shan I play Chandra on turn five to kill their creature, then they like play a big creature, and then the turn after that I play um, what's the the four mana two two flyer that control magics. Sower of Temptation? Yeah, Sower of Temptation, their creature. And then the next turn, they tried to kill my Sower of Temptation in combat to blow me out, and I cryptic commanded them. So I went Chandra, Sower of Temptation, cryptic command. Right? Jesus. But my deck was good <laughs> otherwise. My deck just had, like, had Silver Go Dowsers in it. And so, like, in game two, I had a normal draw we were trying to play in combat, and my opponent had a Dream Sword Witches and three Pepper Smokes. They boarded in three Pepper Smokes against me, which is just minus one, minus one if you have a fairy draw card. Yeah. And so man. when that happened, I had to board in multiple, uh, like, uh, this cra- there's this crappy uh, equipment in the set. It's like one mana for 
it's like one or two mana for it just gives something plus one plus one right and i think it gives it all creature type or something like that and you can just equip it but i need to make sure i didn't just get destroyed <laughs> by members folks so i would like i would like wait for like my opponents to not have black mana up and i'd be like play my card play my equipment put my equipment on and go <laughs> like just make sure it survives you know and that that got me into the top eight of this grand parade or whatever so some cool stuff there yeah <laughs> so we, we digress but like yeah this is the first time changeling has come back since then again I, I think it, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to bring it up. I think it's, you can't stress enough that maybe not this card, right? Maybe this card, maybe not this card. But Changeling is going to affect the format in some way, shape, or form just because it's too broad not to. And we've seen Party, like you said already. So I'm excited to see, you know, whatever mythic Changeling. There's got to be a mythic Changeling, right? Yeah. Maybe some multicolored thing, some, some lord or uh, some legendary creature that does some cool stuff. We'll see. Yeah, you know, there's got to be something. But, uh, All right. I, I do think this card has has potential in older formats where yeah. there's enough elves to make it work. Honestly, Absolutely. if if you'd asked me to rank these seven cards, the non-pathway cards that have been revealed, I would have a Realmwalker number two on my list of these cool. seven for like potential right, play what, in constructed formats. I'm interested to see what you have as number one. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one. That's uh, another one that's going to hark back to some old some old ideas, and this one's going to remind you of a banned card. So I think this is pretty cool. A lot of people had a lot of uh, press on this one when it got spoiled. When we're talking on, on Twitter, Pyre of Heroes. It's a two mana artifact, and it costs two mana to activate it. You have another uh, another cost here. We have to sacrifice a creature. This this should already be ringing some bells. Um, it's sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus the creature's converted mana cost. So you get so you get to go up one on the chain. Put the card. In the, onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library, activate this ability anytime you can cast a sorcery. So, uh, obviously Birthing Pod, a uh, little more restrictive than Birthing Pod, but I wanted to do it in this order because I, 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 you needed to know Changeling was in this set, right? Because, like, obviously Changeling goes a little ways with this. Um, this one, obviously, probably not as busted as Birthing Pod for multiple reasons. You can't cheat on the mana with it. You know, uh, having to actually pay all of its costs at all the times is, is, is prohibitive. So, and, but if you just compare the cheated cost of Birthing Pod to Pyre, it's four total still. Yeah, so still, you, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, you, so it's actually on par with Birthing Pod, and you don't have to pay all the life, which is nice. I, I would say splitting three and one is better, because you'd rather have it on the... On the because normally... Normally, you're going to play it as a four drop to get the activation immediately, and then from that point on, the, having the the larger activation cost in terms of mana is more prohibitive. For like you know, on turn five, you can't go play a four drop, sacrifice it, get a five. Yeah, and that's like where that. I was going with it. Yeah, yeah. But but you avoid all you avoid the life loss, which was a big part of Birthing Pot. One of the reasons that you played it with Kitchen Finks all the time. Not only was Kitchen Finks a persist creature, but the life it gained you like offset what you were paying for the Birthing Pod. Yeah. So this is one of the ones that I'm going to have to sit back and wait and see. You know, because, like, I'll say this. Anytime a card like this gets printed and its predecessor was banned in a format, you get kind of, there's that moment of, what? Like, the first time I read this, I didn't read that they had to share a creature type. You know, I just kind of skimmed through <laughs> it. I was like, oh, my God, it's it's another birthing pod. You know, like, what are they thinking? Whatever. And I was like, oh, I see here. So maybe we're going to see some more creature type matter stuff. You know, again, th this could maybe be in a party deck. You know, kind of thing. Uh, party, changeling, uh, pirate heroes. So yeah, yeah, you, lots you, of cool you can, stuff. You can sort of, like, turn... Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it it's weird to me. Like you, you need a lot of moving parts to make this work. If you're trying to do it with changelings too, you know, if you're just a tribal deck, then sure. Like you just need creatures of the tribe up the curve. Uh, with with the changelings, like you need changelings at reasonable spots in the curve for w whatever your toolbox is. Is your toolbox going to be slanted towards a, a specific type? Maybe not all of it, because uh, that's what I'm kind of thinking. Is like you sort of use the changelings to. Uh, 
which are, you know, whatever changelings are reasonable standalone cards, because I expect some of them, and you're you know, leaning towards a type, but your your toolbox is, it has a few holes in it. Like, you need a better creature removal creature to find, or an enchantment removal creature, or, you know, an anti-control one that generates card advantage. Whatever, like, hole is filled, those get filled by whatever creature that you can get that you have available, and you hope that, and then you have to align those with the changelings in your curve. So it's going to require some specific cards to be made, but, you know, Birthing Pod, in addition to being banned for modern, was a staple in standard. There were like three or four different Birthing Pod decks that saw play over the course of its time in standard. They were all quite good. You know, pod decks were played even during uh, Blue White Delver's time. They were among the, the better decks, you know, um, Mana Creatures, Huntmaster of the Fells, stuff like that. So this is definitely a card with a high ceiling. Uh, but we know this one has a much lower floor than Birthing Pod because of the extreme deck building restrictions. I will say it does seem like it could go pretty well in Historic Goblins. I was thinking along those lines. There's a there's a five drop that you can get through the chain up to Muxus that is really good in Siege Gang Commander. That's all that mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's one of the best ones to sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you probably play Goblin Instigator at that point, which initialists have played. They've moved away from it, but that's definitely a card you would play. You have plenty of threes. Matron is a good one to, to you know go through the curve with Pyre of Heroes. You can, you know, uh, it, it, you can do stuff like uh, if you have, you know, a three drop in play, you can, or like a, a haste, you know, Warchief or Chieftain, you can play Matron, get something, and with two extra mana, sack it and get Krenko. Um, you know, you can potentially play a Trash Master in the main now and, and deal with these main deck cages. Though I guess cage stops Pyre of Heroes. That's a problem. Yeah, P- Pyre being another card that runs into Cage, that's a big problem. So in theory, this card fits well into that deck, but in practice, the fact that it runs into the biggest hate card is a really big problem, actually. You know, when I'm thinking of it more in terms of standard, there is a three-drop that I've been thinking about with it quite a bit, and that's Glass Pool Mimic, another card that I think might fit really well with it. Kind of lets you, you know, if, if you have enough creatures that have really good come-into-play abilities and, you know, think, you know, create value, this is another part of the curve that you can fill in. And Glass Bowl Mimic is a shapeshifter, right? So any mm-hmm. changeling you sacrifice, you'll be able to get. I guess you, you know, I guess it doesn't matter that they're, if you're sacrificing a changeling, but I don't know if there are other shapeshifters around. There might be a shapeshifter lord of this format. You know, if, if the creature is a shapeshifter, then like it gets you know something like that. So a lot of cool stuff there. Another card that I can see being uh, played in supplemental formats, you know, stuff like Commander or whatever. I can definitely see this card being very good. A hundred percent. Yeah, so definitely could see this being in there. So pretty excited this about this. This is my wide range card as far as competitive play goes. I could see it being a, falling completely flat, and I could see it being a format staple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll really depend I, on, I, on what I feel we get. Like, I, I feel that way about that. I feel that way about a lot of the cards like that we see uh, today, and the ones that we're talking about. Where we're, we're going to have to wait and see. And the next one that we're going to talk about, I'm pretty excited about because another thing that's coming back in the set yet again. We're getting sagas back. And so this one seemed to be, to me, to, to, to have the biggest divide amongst people talking about it from the people being like, oh, this card's unplayable to this card's busted. I'm actually more to the side of, I think this card is good and we'll have to see uh, how good it's going to be. This one is Showdown of the, what do you call the Skulls? Yeah. Showdown of the Skulls, yeah. Yeah, for two red-white, it's a saga. Um, the first page of it is exile the top four cards for your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards. So kind of like the red card advantage we've been getting over the last year or two or however long now where you get it this turn and next turn till the end of your next turn kind of thing. So you get those four cards and it says play. So you can, you can use lands off this, not cast. Important part. 
the next two, so page two and three, they're this they're the same one. It's whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a plus minus one counter on target creature you control. Now it just matters if there's like a red white kind of this seems like an aggressive deck kind of card to me, like a a curve topper where it's still an aggressive card. It helps you finish off your opponent, but it also gives you like some card advantage in a format. I can see this being like a sideboard card. If it's really good, I can see it make its way into the main, but it's a good way to kind of like refill your grip in a way, you know, kind of get through some cards and make sure you have stuff to do. But also it's a threat in and of itself, because now even if you find some one or two drops in your red white deck, this is still really good. This is another card you mentioned earlier um, with hollow blade that I'm really excited about. Cause I think that card is one of the better cards in standard that hasn't really had its time to shine yet. And it seems like a good card with this card as well. You know, cards that stick around on the board and stay there so you can constantly be utilizing these plus one plus one counters. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree about this being an aggressive-oriented version of this effect as opposed to Escape the Wilds. It's going to be best put into, you know, ramp decks and big mana decks that we've seen it in. Um, and obviously, you know, because you want to maximize the second and third chapters... And the second and third chapters means like you want to have a really low curve. So this is going to be your curve topper. You know, completely agree about all that. I also think this is another potential coup for party decks because it lets you dig four cards deeper and find the missing pieces to assemble your complete party. I like it. Sort of like collected company in in that vein. So, uh, and it's in sort of the right colors. White is the key one. Red is a perfectly fine color for party. So I'm in it for that. Um, I could honestly, like, if it wasn't for Luris, I could have seen this card in, like, the, the Boris Burn deck in Pioneer. Uh, but Luris is probably better uh, there. I, I like I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, here's the thing. Like, how many times how many times in your matchups are you, like, when you trade all your resources, you're kind of just sitting there afterwards, and you're like, well, you know, I've got this, like, 1-2 and this 2-2, and they're at, like, 14. I don't have any cards left. Like, this is a pretty good card afterwards, especially when, you know, the cards that you're getting off of this card are going to cost, on average, like, two. So the next turn, you're probably going to be double-spelling and putting multiple counters on things. So I, I just see this card as a potential curve topper that snowballs games or gets you back into games where you're a little behind on resources. Yeah, and and I really want to emphasize that to maximize this card, you want a low curve. Like, really low. I want, you know, almost all ones and twos, some threes, and then this at four. So, you know, wherever your curve is, if you are if you want to maximize this card, like, you know, just lower it. Because, it, you know, the, the, the power of this card will, will make up for it. So, I kind of think that this is, the, this is the kind of card that I think will underperform early as people don't have it in shells that are optimized to take advantage of it. And once we see it, its full potential unlocked, it'll start, you know, looking better and people will be like, yeah, we underrated this card to begin with. Um, so that's where I am. I, I like it quite a bit um, and excited to, I'm just excited to actually to play with it. I think this, this is this is my kind of card. I like playing aggressive decks that have a significant amount of resilience. And this is a card that not only provides resilience, but also helps you close the game, right? Those second and third abilities can really generate some big attacks, especially if you have a good amount of haste creatures in your deck. I like the way you put that and the way you said it, because I was actually going to say that while I don't think it's the best card, I think it's the card that I'm most excited about that's been spoiled so far. And the one that I want to play with the most and the one that I think that like th- this one has the most to prove people wrong. It's going to have like a chip on its shoulder if a card could, you know, if it was sentient, it could do that. But I think this is the card that um, I'm looking forward to playing the most out of everything that we've seen. It's, it's my favorite card so far that's been previewed. That's the one where I'm like, yeah, that's that's my shit. I want to play that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's not exactly my favorite card. 
But my favorite card is a card that I wouldn't be surprised if it sees no play at all. Uh, which is it? You want to jump that one next? Yeah. Which do, one can, is it? do you know which one it is? Can you guess? No, because I'm going to be wrong. But it's it's either Halvar or Sorulf. I have no idea. It, no, it. it's Magda Brazen Outlaw. Okay, give so me, this card's pretty sweet. Give me a Dwarf Good. Lord any day. Okay, so, so colorless and a red for two one legendary creature Dwarf Berserker. Unfortunately, Berserker. a Berserker, not a Warrior. Berserker. Other, yeah. Other dwarves you control get plus one plus zero. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token. Sacrifice five treasures, search your library for an artifact or dragon card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So I think we're getting vehicles back to go with these dwarves. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I like the idea of just generating a lot of extra mana when you're attacking early, you know, in an aggressive dwarf deck. Because, you know, when your dwarves attack, you're just going to get treasure. You know, sometimes I think that's going to lead to double spelling, like... I was yeah. I was actually like really hyped on Captain Lannery Storm when that card was previewed because I loved the idea of playing any like almost any two drop casting Captain Lannery Storm attacking getting a treasure and then fatal pushing my opponent's creature. Yeah, I thought that curve was going to be really strong. It didn't work out that way. I think Magda can do similar things, but it's even cheaper, and you have all these other synergies built around it. Um, you know, obviously it's going to depend on what other dwarves we have access to and what you're finding, but there's the card. From the most recent core set, that dragon to the two and a red five four flyer that you need yep. four artifacts to attack with, and you can like sack treasures to return it or do something weird. That to me is a sign that they like they want this theme to be fully fleshed out, and so you know that's going to be a payoff for this kind of deck. And so I I just want to see what that deck looks like. Yeah, and I, I'm right there with you. Uh, like all those points are great. You know, I'm thinking of this card as like. Let's say your your deck is mostly dwarves, right? And you like there's let's say there's a couple there's enough dwarves to be an aggressive base for this deck in, in standard. And on turn two you play a dwarf, right? Turn three you like attack with your dwarf. Turn three you play another dwarf, and they don't kill your creatures. And on turn four you can play Magda, like attack with your dwarves, get your treasures, and still follow up with a big spell. You can even do this on like turn three where you get to spend some extra mana, like you said, you know, you can spend four mana on turn three. And that means you're double spelling earlier. Your creatures are hitting for more damage. And then you have the threat of like, well, what if they have, you know, a Terror of the Peaks in their deck? Or the Dragon like you're talking about, which I should know the name of it because I played it a hundred times in that format. It was it was secretly a very good limited card just because even if it never attacked, it was a 5-4 flyer for three mana, which is just good enough and a lot of stuff. And it also matters if if you can like, the thing is like, how many do you play with this card? Like how many copies of the dragon do you play? How often can you attack the dragon if you don't have uh, Magda in play? I'll say this. This card is sweet as shit. This card is metal. Like this is one of the metaler cards that we've seen so far out of all this stuff. Um, I like it. Another card that I think can show up in like commander type stuff because it's another lord of a, of a tribe that hasn't gotten a ton of love, but did get some love in Kaladesh. Which is really cool that we're getting this at the same time as Kaladesh getting uh, put out on Arena. Because you have uh, 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 Kapala? Is that, is that the name of uh, the, the the Dwarf Lord? The red-white creature that like when you tapped it, you could pay X and look at... Dapala. Da- Dapala, yeah. And so you have this and Dapala, which curve well together. So maybe there's a aggressive historic deck. It might not be Tier 1, but it might be Tier 1. You know, like Tier 2, Tier 3, and it can win some games. Yeah. Um, that's def- definitely something but, to look into. I, the key to me is if way, you have a good one-drop dwarf. Yes, that well, uh, it, maybe there's a changeling that's going to be good. Yeah. Maybe there's a, if there's like a two-one uh, changeling for one, which might be too good. You know, there's this Savannah Lion changeling, like no other text. It, it, it might just be good enough. By the way, I'm I'm trademarking that phrase tier fun. 
I don't know. Maybe someone else has done that, and that's, I've secretly had that in my head and don't know. I've definitely just, heard it before. You're you're not. I had never. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I don't know where I've heard it. If I've heard it before, so I'm gonna take credit for it, and then someone can prove me wrong. Anyway, you're not. Special. I like this card a lot. I think it's gonna be cool. Um, it's aggressive enough, right? Like it's a two one for two, which by itself isn't good enough for standard or standalone. But I think it has enough text on it and enough good draws that could possibly happen from it that can make this card good enough. So I, I do think this one might show up in standard. It just depends on what the aggressive decks look like and if the format has a space for this. So I'm, I'm excited about this card. I'm, you know what? I'm excited about pretty much all of them, honestly. I think they're all cool. I mean, I, I, I think the odds that this card ends up in a competitive standard deck are very low. I think that there it's going to be a standard deck that people try out like during the early access event and turns out to, to not be good. But I'm excited to play it on Versus Live and hopefully win a match with it. I, the artwork's great. It's a Berserker Dwarf riding a fucking dragon. Like that, what, what do you not love about that? And, and there's a chance that that deck is, you know, fringe playable. And if it is, I'll be very happy. Yeah, I know you will. So um, speaking of other, you know, stuff that gets some love and creature types that don't get some love, there is a legendary wolf in this set. Um, how would you pronounce this name? I have no idea how you say this one. Um, I or default wolf. to... Sorolf. Sorolf. Yeah, Sorolf Realm Eater. Uh, this one's pretty cool. This is another one that's had some people being like, I think this card's unplayable. Dude, I think this card is very good. It is one black and a green for a 3 3. Um, it is Legendary Creature Wolf. Uh, this one's wordy, so I'm going to try to go through it a little, a little slowly. So, whenever a permanent an opponent controls is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one or put a plus one plus one counter on this, on, on Sorolf. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Sorolf has one or more plus one plus one counters on it, you may remove all of them. If you do, exile each other non-land permanent with a converting mana cost less than or equal to the number of counters removed this way. This is an interesting card. Like, there's a lot of people talking about this in uh, Modern. You know, because, uh, you know, just an opponent's fetch land triggers this. Any removal spell triggers this. And then decks that, you know, rely on one drop, zero drops, stuff like that, are going to have a problem uh, dealing with this card. So I've, I've heard some people talking about that kind of stuff. It seems pretty good. It's like, you know, Death Shadow, but three mana is a lot. And then you have to kind of rely on your opponent to trigger it. So I'm not so sure. You know what card it doesn't seem very good against? Lightning Bolt. Yeah, it does not seem good <laughs> against Lightning Bolt. But I'll tell you this. How many Lightning Bolts are you seeing in Modern right now? I mean, in the de- in the Death Shadow decks, like in, yeah. in the decks where this card is going to be relevant... You're seeing a lot of lightning bolts. Well, are they actually still are they still playing a lot? Like a lot of the versions that I saw recently, or I haven't really looked at, really looked at them in the last like month, right? But for a while there, they were cutting down like one copy. Really? Yeah, they just had fatal pushes and stuff. So I, I, I also like a, that deck has been around and good for so long. I sort of stopped looking in it, like how what changed in it. Exactly. When you look at it, you you see the new card, right? You see Scourge, you know, of, of the Skyclaves or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's the new card. You don't sit there and look at, oh, how many Lightning Bolts is this person playing? You know, you don't, you kind of gloss over it. But this is a sweet card. This one's really cool. Um, it's going to be hard to make this card good because you're kind of reliant on your opponent doing something or them playing into you the correct way. I'm, I'm skeptical of this card. I am skeptical as well, but I will say this is the card that uh, confuses me the most in, in terms yeah. of how to evaluate it. You know, I'm just not sure how powerful that ability is. Uh, and and uh, so that means that my confidence in my evaluation is low. Uh, you know, it's pretty clear to me that you want to be playing this, 
it's a very versatile card. You know, it can beat down, it can grind card advantage. So it's a very mid-rangey card to me where it, it's, you know, sort of a jack of all trades and reasonably efficient, you know, three mana, three, three with a, a good amount of upside. Um, so it, it strikes me in, in that vein, but like, I'm not putting it in my Sultai decks. And like, when you're talking about trying to play a sweeper against small creature decks, the most important thing is immediate impact. So like casting this card and then hoping your opponent puts something into their graveyard. So on your upkeep, you can deal with all their one drops, touching, you know, a turn later does not strike me as particularly good. So to me, you will, you need to really be taking advantage of just it getting big, uh, which seems hard to do. You know, there's Fable Passage in newer formats, there's Fetchlands in, in modern or whatever, but yeah, it just doesn't strike me as efficient enough at what it's doing right. to see a lot of play. Um, so it, 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 it seems like so many hoops to go through. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just a, it, it's too um, it, it's too um, I, I don't want to say complicated. I want to say something more profound than that, but complicated. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with it anyway. Complicated. Yeah, I, I just can't. I can't come up with the word I actually want want to. It's all right. Uh, next preview card, another little callback. We got a returning planeswalker here. With Kaya, the... Uh, I can't read that. The word's too small. Can you, inexorable. Can you read it for me? Say again? Inexorable. Sorry. I have it... I have like seven windows up right now, and they're all small. <laughs> so, it, I don't know. Tell you, what, you read this one. This this print is way too small for me to read. Okay. It, so, it's a three uh, three generic, a white and a black. Starts with five loyalty. For Which plus, is a lot for a five-man yeah. planeswalker. I'm liking that. For plus one, put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains... When this creature dies or is put into exile, return it to its owner's hand and create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. Minus 3, exile target non-land permanent. And for minus 7, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a legendary spell from your hand, from your graveyard, or from among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. I think this card is good. Ooh. Okay, first big disagreement. I do not think this card is good. Um, when I say good, I don't mean like format defining. Yeah. I don't mean, you know, whatever. But So you think it's a good role player? What role yes. does it play? I think that a five mana Planeswalker with minus three XL target non-land permanent, just kill anything, is pretty good. It's going to be able to kill an opposing Planeswalker. It just, it matters if this play pattern works in standard, right? Like if, you know, five mana kill a thing is good enough, but it leaves behind a Planeswalker that can do other stuff, right? And you're in, you're in black and white. So you, the ability to take advantage of the plus one of getting some, you know, some, some things out of this is, is pretty good because the play pattern of playing this card, killing something, the next turn, like plusing, you know, getting a one, one out of it in some way. And then either just minus three or doing it again and minus three after that is good enough if the format is slow enough for this. I'm thinking of formats that had decks like, you know, the Golgari deck being in standard, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I can see it being good. Also, exiling, kind of important at this time. You know, there's a lot of stuff with graveyard shenanigans, uh, a lot of big permanents that are good. You know, you're seeing a lot of decks that have a lot of different permanent types and you're not seeing, you know, just creature decks or control decks that just have planeswalkers. You know, you're seeing artifacts being good. You're seeing enchantments being good. So a ubiquitous answer. I could see myself playing a copy or two of this in like a control deck or a deck that just wants this kind of effect and on a permanent that's going to give me more value later. Okay. So I agree that the minus three aspect, uh, the minus three ability is the best part of the card. And it, I think that, it's, that's that, like not arguable. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that aspect of it is good. 
However, the rest of it uh, drags it down. Because one, the, the plus one means that you're playing this in a deck with a reasonable amount of creatures. So already I'm, I'm not very interested in this as a control deck because it's, a re- it's really inefficient if you're just using it as a removal spell. You know, the ideal is play it, if you're, if you're just using it to answer permanence, the ideal is, you know, play it on five, minus three, exile something, hopefully untap with it, plus, you know, hopefully untap with it again and exile something else, and you get, you know, a slow, but, you know, versatile and powerful two for one. That, man, that's the, be- that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is it's like five mana exile something, gain two life, um, which is you know, pretty media- mediocre at best at sorcery speed. The, but so obviously, like you want to be playing with some creatures, but getting value out of the plus one also requires you to have creatures on the battlefield, which is probably also true of being able to efficiently use the minus three, because otherwise, you know, the, the two loyalty planeswalkers is really easy to attack down. So I envision this card being difficult to resolve, one both on the draw and when you stumble at all. If you don't curve out and like only have one creature, it's okay if you if you have one creature, but if you don't have any, it, it's pretty bad. So. It looks to me like a, a kind of win more card where it's gonna you maximize it in positions where you're likely ahead. You know, there are gonna be some times when you're at parity and the and the board stalls out and now you get to trade a lot of stuff in combat. You know, it, it's gonna be good in, in situations like that. So maybe that that's the kind of maybe it's a role player out of the sideboard for board centered mid-range mirrors. Um that sounds reasonable to me. I could see that that being a role for it. Uh, and it, I think it would be pretty good in that role. But you really need to be turning that plus one into consistent card advantage for this card to be good. Because if, if you're doing that, if that plus one is drawing you a card by like returning the creature, you get the one, one, two, uh, right? So you're doing a little bit better than a card even. Uh, and you're, you know, it's not, it's pretty conditional. Then this card fits that mold of five mana planeswalker, plus one draw card, minus three, kill something, you know, and an ultimate. Um, I'm not even sure the ultimate wins the game. It can if you have a bunch of legends or whatever. It's it's actually pretty bad, you know. The the when I look at this card, I want to compare it to Obnixilis Reignited, which to me is sort of the gold standard of of Planeswalkers in that cycle. You know, you can it you can does put, not compare well. Yeah, like you can put Teferi Hero of Dominaria in that too because it fits that mold. But it's Teferi to me is powerful enough that it transcends that mold. Like it, it's just on a new uh, on a new level. Um, uh, and Kaya does not really compare well to me, to Obnixilis, but that role I described, I think, makes sense for it, but it requires, you know, two different, like, kind of mid-range decks, that maybe a mirror match of, like, an Abzan deck or something like that, um, I-, I could see Kaya being good in, but overall, like, when I think of a five-mana Planeswalker, I want it to be a standalone threat and a great top deck in the late game uh, when the-, the battlefield's empty, and Kaya is neither of those things. That's very true. All right, kind of got, got me a little convinced maybe the other way around, but... We'll see. Um, I do think it's a card that that could possibly show up, like you said, as a cyborg card, as a, a good role player or if, something. If you're leveraging the plus one, I think the card is quite good because then it compares pretty favorably. Because then the plus one is drawn cards, the exile, the, the, the minus three is better. Than, it's then just better than Obnixilis. It, it's ultimate is worse, but that's the least important factor. Yeah, that's like whatever. If you're ultimating a planeswalker, you're probably winning anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially if you're ultimating one that's drawing cards every time. You, yeah, you ex- exactly. Um, so the next card that we're going to preview, which is the last one. This is my vote for coolest preview card out of all the ones so far. Definitely the most unique. I mean, it, it also has my vote for best. I mentioned earlier that I had Realm Walker at number two. Halvar is my n- number one card preview card so far, outside the Pathways, of course. Really, really cool and really, really good. Now, um, so 
This is a modal card. You're going to choose which side of it you want to play. Um, the first half is Halvor, God of Battle. It is two white-white for a 4-4. Four, four. It is a legendary creature god. Okay. Uh, before we get into it, it doesn't have any of the god triggers, so I think it's something we need to notice. Yeah, it, it doesn't have any of the It's always a creature. It's yeah. yeah, it's always destructible. It's, so. it's just a normal creature. But, it's breaking the mold um, there. It says, creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat... You may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. Oh. Did you misread this? Yeah, I thought it could just attach anything, but the thing has to already be attached. So you do get to move some stuff around. So like in blue white auras and stuff like that, like we'll see if there's some, you know, some good equipment, some good auras in this set. That's uh, much worse. That's important. But still, um, good card. Here's why this card is good. There's another half this card that is also playable. Um, it is Sword of the Realms. By the way, I love this art. Um, it's one and a white for a legendary artifact equipment. It says equipped creature gets plus two plus zero and has vigilance. Whenever the equipped creature dies, return it to its owner's hand. And it costs one and a white to equip. So here's why I like this card. I think this card's good. I think it's playable. But whenever you have a, a legendary uh, thing in your deck, right, and you play four copies of it, you always run the risk of, like, drawing it, A, when it's not good, or B, when you already have one and it's, like, kind of a dead card. It's very hard to draw this and have it be a dead card because you could play either half of it. So that's a pretty cool thing. Um, we got to see if that kind of effect is going to be good in standard or, you know, we're seeing an aura deck in historic. If this is a thing that you need because it's another equipment piece that could be in your deck, but it's also a creature, which is good because that deck, sometimes when you only draw one creature or something happens to it, you're going to die. Like you're going to lose. So now this fits both ends, right? Like this is an equipment piece to help buff my creatures, Right. But it's also a creature itself if I draw it late in the game where I need a creature. So it's kind of a flexible card that I think is going to be good enough to possibly make some constructed play. Yeah, you've made the two key points that I think are important about why this card is good. Uh, you know, lower diminishing returns on a you know pretty powerful legend because you can play both halves. And, and uh, you know, the decks that it goes into, decks that are playing lots of equipment. And I, I tried some equipment decks in standard right after Zendikar Rising because there's some, you know, equipment synergies in that set. And you also just love a cheap white creature and attacking yeah. with them. You you don't want to you you need to play a certain amount of equipment to draw them reliably, right? To to flesh out the synergies. But if you draw too many equipment, your deck gets really clunky because they're you know they're pretty expensive to play and equip. You really don't want more than like two equipment on the battlefield at any given time. Um, and so having a card that can be both ensures that you'll have the the you know first and second equipment when you want them, but won't have the third and fourth when you don't want them. Um, so that in that style of deck, that this specific modality is re is really good. I think we've talked before about like you know modal cards are a lot better when they cover each other's weaknesses. You know, if that if one half is good when the other half is bad, and I think that's what this card does, as you mentioned. So that that's why I'm excited. If you if you think I'm going to be like immediately way down on this after realizing I've misread that one one bit of it, I am a, a little bit more down on it. Because the other reason I really liked it was I thought it would go really well with... It still goes fine with it, but I thought it would go really, really well with the Mall of the Skyclaves. Card I was pretty high on during the last preview season. Didn't do much of anything in this uh, in Standard. You know, still certainly has potential, especially if we get more you know, equipment synergistic up, cards. It showed up, like, very fringe. Very yeah. fringe. But it's a card that I think... It screams play me when you look at it. Yeah. It actually has it shown up in Modern as part of Stoneforge Mystic Packages uh, in Death and Taxes, so... Yeah, we uh, saw that. Yeah, yeah. You know, clearly a pretty powerful equipment, but when you when the when the first creature you equip it to dies, it's pretty expensive to move around. I thought you were going to be able to use the Halvar to move it back on, 
uh, you know, essentially get four mana out of that trigger, which would have been really nice. Um, I, you know, when I, when I see that, um, I guess it, it, it's weird because it works with both aura and equipment. I guess, it, yeah, no, that, no, they could have, they could have worded it in a way where if they just said attach target aura or equipment you control to a creature you control. Um, so to me, that's the most natural way to design this card. And I wouldn't be surprised if it started that way and they found it to be a little bit too powerful and they change it to aura or equipment attached to a creature you control um, to make sure you couldn't do that. Um, so that to me is generally is sometimes a good sign because it means the card at one point in testing was you know really, really good. And they, they've pared it down a little bit, but they probably haven't pared it down, you know, to the point of unplayability. So I, I'm still pretty excited about this. And I think that that first line on the, the god side, you know, creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. Double strike is a really powerful ability. You might just die the turn they yeah. play this. Just think yeah. about the curve. Season Hallowblade into Maul of the Skyclaves into this. You attack for five on turn three and then ten on turn four. And that's with a creature that is really difficult to kill, the you know, the 3-1. Uh, so that kind of curve looks really nice to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty high on this card, and I will definitely be trying some equipment-based decks with Skyclave Apparition, which is obviously great with equipment. Can you imagine, like, you know, Apparition into Sword of the Realms? You're now attacking for four with it, and if it dies, you get another Apparition. Yeah. That's really nice. So I, I, I'm definitely high on this card. I think I think it's quite good. Uh, specifically for standard, not sure it's really good. Like, just 4-mana 4-4 four four isn't really up to snuff in older formats. Though maybe there's something going in Historic. I'm a little mad that it's not a Dwarf God. <laughs> it kind of has a Dwarf vibe going on. You know, like with the with the equipment and like the, his look, you know, kind of going on. I'm kind of mad that he's not a Dwarf and is not get... So what, what was the actual Norse God of War? I'm not actually sure. I, I'm not sure either, but... I am excited about this card. I think Odin was their god of war, apparently. At least from literally just... Oh, wait. It's the god of war wiki. I think this is from the... Uh, um, <laughs> from, uh, is that from the the video game franchise? Or is it... Uh, I, I, you're, you're asking the wrong person. List of war deities jump to Norse. That's what I want. That's what I want. Um, no, I didn't jump. I don't know what I clicked. I'll, I'll figure this out. You, you start talking. <laughs> you you fill time while I do the important stuff, but okay. O- Odin's yeah, still associated cool. with it. Hold on, uh, Tyr is associated with victory. Um, Uller with single combat and glory. So they they don't really. I don't think they have a, like a real clean analog to like Ares or Mars in Norse mythology. So whatever. I was wondering if there was like a, a very clear, you know, uh, um inspiration for Halvar, but maybe not. Overall, I'm pretty excited by these previews. I, I think they look cool. I like the flavor in the direction the set's going. Um, it does kind of feel like one of those sets where they're just going to slap every single word onto a card that they possibly can, because so far they've all had a lot of tasks. I mean, that's just a, a philosophy change that happened probably two years ago or something. And I, I kind of like it. I, I, like, I like being challenged where I'm like, okay, how exactly am I supposed to be using this card? And then I, you know, Sometimes I just completely miss it, and I see other people put it into a shell, and I'm like, oh, my God, they are so big brain. Yeah, um, they're so much smarter than I am. Yeah. I have a small brain. <laughs> yeah, I just take my tribal cards and put them into a tribal deck and hope my curve works. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, to, as a competitive player, I like it. Hopefully it's not, you know, turning off new players that much. But I will say this. The thing that I'm excited about is 
and this is a very small taste of what's going on in the set so far, right? You know, we see some mythics, we see some rares. It does look like maybe the power level might not be super high in the set. You know, we haven't seen a lot of stuff so far, but I'm just, I'm hoping for more of a return to where you play more turns in standard and attacking and blocking might be relevant. For, and I, I kind of want that, right? Like I want to be able to play games out a little bit more. And we'll have to see if that's the way this set looks like, but it, it looks like it, it might be that way to me, and I, I'm liking it so far. So has a, a card been banned in in standard from each one of the last one? I guess not. nothing from the, the last core set has been banned, so that breaks any streak. But Well, that one kind of doesn't count. Yeah, and I, I guess Ikoria didn't have something banned, but it had the, the companion chain, like nerf, so they we'll did, count they that. They change the way cards work. Yeah, which, is which like is, was unprecedented. So this this will be the first non-core set of the last like five or something. You're one, right. two, yeah, like, you know, that hasn't had anything banned. Uh, hopefully, you know, I, I think while some of the other sets had multiple cards that like were really powerful, in particular, you know, Throne of Eldraine, uh, Zendikar Rising was just Omnath. And once Omnath was removed, and then finally Uro, which is a previous mistake, this standard environment has been pretty good. It's been dynamic, it's been diverse, it's been, you know, uh, so we're... But There's we're, actual progressions going on, such as the same deck over and over again. You're seeing a lot of the decks move in and out. You're yeah. seeing stuff get drastically changed. Yeah. And I think, you know, generally I prefer standard when the mana is quite good. So completing the pathway cycle, I like... I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, you know, and, you know, maybe we'll see some busted Simic card. I don't fucking know. But, yeah, so, so far... Wouldn't that looks, be a change of pace? A really good green-blue card? Yeah. So, so far it looks pretty cool. And I, I like that... The cards that we've seen thus far, which obviously is a very small portion of the set, they we seem like we're getting some good aggro support. And I'm particularly excited about the return of Changeling. Because one thing I've noticed them do in the last like three or four years is it seems like a lot of sets have tribal sub-themes. And, and it's mainly to you know promote the themes of, of the set. There's often, you know, the planes just you know, tend to have, you know, more tribes, uh, uh, certain tribes more present than others, and they're trying to reflect that in the cards. But it's led to, uh, and especially what since they've moved away from the block structure of sets to just standalone sets, it's led to a lot of standard environments that have had like you know a you know a tribal theme in one set that isn't fleshed out enough to make a competitive deck, and then that same thing repeated for six sets in the standard format. So you just have six mediocre aggro decks, and there's no really way, no good way to combine the ele- the powerful elements from each of those into a cohesive deck. Because they're, you know, you need the the tribal elements to make them powerful, and changeling is the kind of mechanic that can be that rising tide that lifts all the tribal boats, right, and it makes them all playable. So I'm really hoping that we get just efficient, standalone, powerful, aggressive creatures that are changelings that can help out, you know, every, every single tribe, or at least tribes of, of those certain colors. I mean, that's a really good point. I, I think we have to gonna have to wait and see. Like, is changeling a sprinkling in the set? Or is it going to be like a main theme? You know, are we going to see lots of creatures with it or just a few? Is it, is it going to be color specific like, you know, you were talking about? Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to find out. I think the set's going to be cool so far. I like the theme of it quite a bit so far. It kind of reminds me of like earlier Ice Age theme, not not the the, the newer one. But which when I say newer. I mean, <laughs> not Cold Snap? Cold Snap was, God, that set was bad. And then uh, it's, It wasn't it's, good. 
Yeah, I remember playing in the pre-release and being like, none of these cards are good. Ross, <laughs> like, what's going on? Dude, I, I drafted that set like 10 times, and I think that was sort of like the ideal number. Like, if you drafted that set 50 times, it was it was miserable because you just learned all the degenerate decks. But I did the ideal it, like, number was probably zero, Ross. But yeah, no, doing that degenerate stuff is really fun the first handful of times you do it. Yeah, and then really bad after that, and that's what I did. Like I, I, I think I did like ten drafts, and I had the the mono white deck three times. Yeah, what's the uh, what's the, what's the drafts the drafting on arena where all your cards are just free? What's it called? Supreme. Um, say it again. Supreme is that the thing now? Oh no, that's no, the thing on, a, on Moto. There is a draft format on arena where you just you get to play your spells for free. I remember doing it and winning at like an absurd rate because like all I drafted were like divinations and cards that said draw a card and then like a way to like there was just like a combo to kill your opponent. Yeah. And like your opponent, like your opponent would be like, oh, here's a five drop and a five drop go because you start with three cards. And I'm like, that's not good enough. Like divination, 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 you know, like I have eight of these, you yeah. know, or whatever and stuff. And so you're um, just playing a degenerate form of magic where tempo doesn't matter. And that means board yeah. presence doesn't matter. All that matters is card advantage. And maybe it wasn't that degenerate, but like Colsev had some very degenerate, stupid things that you could do. So I was not a fan. Yeah. Oh, it was like, you know, busted fair snow decks that were so powerful they could stand up to some of the busted degenerate decks and then nothing but mm. ripple nonsense. And ripple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ripple was not a good mechanic. Yeah. It was, well, and it, it was a, it was a, like technically, I don't, I don't know if people know the history of Cold Snap, but it was around the time when somebody, like, you just know that somebody high up at Wizards, was like, why the hell do we release four sets every other year, three sets in the years in between? Why aren't we just releasing four sets a year? And they're like, well, we can't release like core sets that often for whatever reason. I don't know. Somebody probably told them that. It's like, well, let's figure out a way to release other sets. And they released, that's when they released uh, Unhinged. They're like, okay, we'll do that. And that, I don't think that sold that well, despite the lands. Then, you know, they came up with the weird idea of Cold Snap. And it was like, okay, well, technically we've had two sets of Ice Age block, but we haven't had the third. And they made up this weird story about there being the long lost third set. Yeah, Yeah, the missing, you know, third set of Ice Age block. But because it was going to be a standard legal set, it, like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't going to be designed to be played with Ice Age cards. That wouldn't have made sense. You know, just Mm -hmm. completely different power levels. And so they designed a modern set or, uh, at that power level. But it was a very small set, so it would fit with, like, you know, the third set of Ice Age block. It was smaller than third sets were at the time by, you know, 30 cards or so. And when you drafted it, it had to be drafted as a standalone set. Whereas mostly, you know, third sets of a block are, you know, one pack in each. Mm-hmm. So being small, what didn't matter as much because there was only one pack of them in the draft. So now you had three packs of this set that was already, you know, a small set, but it was even smaller than a small set. And the main mechanic was Ripple, which was just about hitting the density of weird commons. So it was yeah. like a draft format where you could get nine of a specific common in a a mechanic that made your deck really powerful if you could get nine of a specific common. It was oh, it was a it was quite the perfect storm. It felt like storm too. That's a good way to put it. It definitely <laughs> felt like storm, but I just I don't know I just hated that set. It, oh, it was not good. Yeah. So. Um... I am going to be looking forward to drafting this set. This set looks like it's going to be a great limited set as, as well so far. Um, I think Changeling opens up a lot of avenues in draft that aren't ever really there because, like, you 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 have a you have more things to do with the cards. If you get what I'm saying, like they're not just g- generic on their face. It's like, well, this can fit into multiple other things. Yeah, and you, you will you have. I think the big thing is you have more flexibility when you're drafting. Like the Changelings were pretty high picks in Lorwyn draft. I remember there there was just a Grizzly Bear that was a Changeling Woodland Changeling. Right, as Colas Green 2-2, Changeling. And it was a pretty high pick, you know. 
it wasn't an elite common, but it was like a you know tier two common because it just left you open because you could be either of the green tribes and and you would be fine. It would it would always make your deck. And so that it would let you read the table. So I liked that aspect of Lorwyn, where the changelings gave you flexibility in the draft itself. Um, so that's something I, I would be looking forward to if I'm a limited player. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I know that we haven't had one of these in a while, but we actually have a mailbag submission question. I think they heard us talk about uh, the last <laughs> weeks that everybody's kind of moved over to the overrated, underrated section. And uh, this is from one of my favorite patron members, uh, Chef Petro, by the way. And he says, it's magical Christmas land. He, he's both one of my favorite and least favorite patron members. Because sometimes I see those pictures of the food and I'm just like, I him. fucking hate you. I want that so much. Yeah, it's like, I really wish we could travel. I would have visited Detroit multiple times. By <laughs> yeah. But, but anyway, this this is online. to the question. Magical Christmas land. Or Xmas land, whatever. The vaccine is widely adopted. The numbers dwindle. Who reacts faster with in-person competitive play? Star City Games, Channel Fireball, or Watsy? Also, are you going to play in the first open slash GP? Spoiler alert, I know I will. Um Do you want me to answer first? Kind of tough to say. Yeah, if you have a like if you have a definitive answer, you go. I think one of the subletting companies would be the first ones to react. So I think either Star City or Channel Fireball, and I think Star City because they have their shit together a little bit more when it comes to um the, the stuff on the side, like getting their their stuff up and running, uh, I think they would. It, it, I think it also matters like who's running the company and wants to make that decision first, because uh, Pete does seem to be risk adverse as well. Uh, maybe a little bit more than the average Magic uh, owner, which I actually appreciate. But anyway, it's either here nor there. Um, I don't think we can count if Watsy decides to like have an in person one for like their sixteen man their sixteen person tournament, you know, because like that's allowed at that number. You know, like, yeah. we're talking a big event. Yeah, you know, we're Grand we're Prix talking like a, yeah, Grand Prix or an open. Um so I, I I'll say my answer is Star City Games and tentatively my answer for going to the first one is no. I, I would be skipping the first one because I think I would still be very wary. Um I would say I, I kind of lean SCG. I think there's a chance where like SCG will just sort of follow Watsi's lead with that. And Watsi, like, if, if it's, if they're gonna try it, it, it sort of matters whether or not, um, like, magic events take a little while after other things. Like, you know, I, I kind of expect, you know, restaurants to reopen fully and other things to, to start going back to a little bit of normal well before we get really big magic tournaments. Because that's, like, a super spreader event kind of thing. So it seems like among, among the least safe things you could be doing, so it should be the last to come back. And so are we going to have to wait until numbers are way down and things are really under control? And if that happens, then I see SCG going first. If they start trying itching to get back and they're doing it a little bit, you know, uh, and they're coming back a little bit earlier, like still reasonably safe, but not 100%, you know, 80 or 90%. With that added liability, I would think uh, Watsi is a little bit more likely to move first. They can cover that liability a little bit more. They could probably spend more money to make sure their event is really safe, you know, have a lot of, uh, have more space so that people can be really spread out, have, you know, have a lot of precautions in place that SCG might not have the budget for. But I also think if you're comparing, you know, GP to open, opens are a lot smaller and that those will probably come back before full scale Grand Prix. So that's why I kind of lean SCG, but there's a couple of factors at play. I will say, I, I'm kind of like you where I'm I'm wary, but I know that first event back is going to be super fun. So I would like I would want to go, um, but I would definitely look at, you know, how safe it is and make a responsible decision. Yeah, it, it's one of the things you have to weigh this stuff. And I will say this. 
the first couple events back, especially the first one, is going to be quite the gathering, quite the party, quite the reaction. It's going to be one of those events where no one gives a shit what their record is. Yeah. Like, in fact, the, a lot of the lucky people, if you don't win the tournament, are the ones who don't make day two because you're just going to hang out with everybody on day two. Like, like the hall might be like more empty relative to the number of people at the event than normal. If you get what I'm trying to say, like people are going to be like, yo, let's go to this restaurant down this down the week and we're going to sit at the bar and hang out, uh, you know, and like uh, things you haven't been able to. Yeah. Don't tell that to Ross, me, Dan. I think, I think Ross just had an orgasm. <sighs> sit at the bar. <laughs> Talk dirty to me, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Did we just become an after an after dark podcast? I need, I need some water. Yeah, <laughs> Ross is fanning himself for those at home who can't see him because I can. So oh, sorry, that was that. vodka. But let's go ahead and change the subject just so Ross doesn't get overheated here. Let's try to get a few of these uh, overrated, underrated out of the way. Yeah, every uh, time so I check that it. channel, I'm just like, oh my god, there's so many of them. Please don't stop, but. <laughs> yeah, please don't stop. But we'll, we got a lot out of the way in that that extra episode. We'll do another one in like a week or two. Yeah, do a, do a holiday over under. Yeah, mass. Oh yeah, because we talked about doing one live as well, and I think we really should do one drinking live. So whenever Ross gets his computer fixed, yeah, that is a more likely time to. Do. All right, Massimo, uh, for overrated, underrated, best way ask Jace the mind sculptor in modern. I'm gonna go overrated. Um, which was a huge discussion when it first got unbanned, right? Yeah, like everybody's like it's gonna break the format. It was very overrated when it was first unbanned, and I'm among but, the people that overrated it. Um, Same. At this point, like I think it's probably about properly rated. Like people play it when they should, and it's good in the decks. It's good in blue decks are good right now too. So you see a little bit more of it. Um, that's more of a function. Of a lot of the other tools around it, you know, force of negation and mystic sanctuary. I think the two being the two biggest ones. Um, but you know, Jace is a, just a solid staple in modern, and I don't think anybody thinks it's any more than that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tartan Scarfman uh, says the adjective toxic. That's a good username. Yeah, uh, the adjective toxic. Uh, I don't know how to actually answer this in the right way, and the fact that I just think that we should move past it. Like, yeah, you know, like I don't know if that means overrated or underrated or whatever, however you want to put it, because it's subjective. But I just think that I it's a, it's a word that I've never really used as an adjective when people use it in a way. Uh, I think people understand the way I'm trying to say use toxic here. Like I think it's okay to use the word in the sentence where you're like, I don't like being around this person. I find this person to be very toxic at times or toxic for me. That's yeah. fine. But when people just, just like flippantly throw the word around something like this, it's getting to the point where I'm just like, I think we can move past this. This is where we don't need to really have. The, yeah. The problem is it's a word that gets used in very serious discourse. And it's a word that doesn't have a like, very specific agreed upon meaning. It's a very muddled word. And anytime you use words like that in discourse that is very serious, you end up having semantic disagreements that waste a lot of everyone's time. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, Joe, uh, ask cash money. I'm going to let you go first here. Um, underrated. Okay. Because, pe- well, people just, like, pay for a lot of things with cards now, and I and I agree. Like, you know, I pay for, pro- I use card more than more often than cash by a pretty significant margin. Um, but it's, I always try to keep some cash on me. Like, there are just certain things that are more convenient to pay for in cash, and there are some people that, like, explicitly never want to have cash on them, and I find that annoying. Because sometimes it's like, oh, you're like you owe me five bucks or something. Okay, hand me five bucks. Like, you know, I I, I always want to have like, you know, anywhere from like twenty to a hundred bucks on me. Rarely much more than like a hundred bucks, but anything in that range, so I can settle small debts very conveniently and quickly. It's good. So I'm having a giggle to myself right now when Ross is talking about when, whenever he wanted to have cash on me, I always must have twenty to hundred dollars because. Uh, you probably know this that I was a professional poker player for a long period of time in my life. The amount 
of the average amount of dollars that I would have on my person <laughs> yeah. during those days. I, I'm not going to say the number out loud, but let's put it this way. It's a lot bigger than the number one you said, and there's extra digits. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it's orders of magnitude different. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I got to say, for me, for most of my life, cash money was underrated just because I needed it. I needed to be very, 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 very liquid. You know, and so it was it was very important for me to have cash and be have access to cash. But for the average human being, I think it's actually overrated. The fact that uh, you don't really need it as much anymore. While I agree with a lot of the points you made, you know, there's Venmo, there's Cash App, there's PayPal. There's a million different ways to do it that way. That's also very convenient, not even to ha have cash on you. Also, it's very disgusting. It's just dirty and gross, and like I oh. hate having a wallet. Yeah, we should we should have uh, we should have dollar and two dollar coins, like basically every other country has. Like, yeah, I hate the gold. problem is every dollar every dollar coin we've made has been about the size of a quarter and it needs to be bigger. And I don't know why we just refuse to make a dollar and coin heavier. of an appropriate size. Yeah. Also heavier. The ones in all the other countries are like it has some some mass. Yeah. Like why? Like just right. why? Why? Like the Susan B. Anthony dollar and the Sacagawea dollar. Like we just fucked them up. All right. Speaking of fucked up stuff, what's the next one? KFET. Snow. Um overrated because I hate using snow basics. Despise uh, using snow I'm gonna basics. Say, I'm going to say snow in the, in, the, in the IRL world. I think it's overrated because people are like, oh, it's great. And also I'm like, no, it's just a giant fucking nuisance. So I've generally found through most of my adult life, most people have that opinion. And I generally like snow. And as a non-driver, I, I realize that like my experience driver, with yeah. snow is, is, is much better. But recently, like, you know, I just saw on Twitter everybody excited because we all, like, you know, around the country, a lot of places got snow yesterday. They're excited because there's nothing to be excited about, Ross. They're stuck in their homes. Yeah, and they the, can't the, go anywhere anyway. So I, I think that has a large, large uh, factor in why people were more excited about snow this time around because people are just driving way less. Um, but in general, I, I just like snow. I So I'm a, the person who I like cold weather more than hot weather. I do not. Um, yeah, you're like you, you grew up in a uh, in warm climates. I've lived in warm climates your entire time. I've you know mostly lived in cool climates. It, it does not snow anywhere where I've yeah. lived. So so and, and I like snow. You know, and, you know, obviously like only to a point. I don't want to get more than like you know more than a foot of it. Uh, and even a foot is really pushing it. Uh, like six to eight inches is kind of an ideal amount of snow. It's enough to like give you the scenery and give you the the appeal of it, but it goes away relatively quickly. Um, so it, it doesn't, and it doesn't like six to eight inches doesn't really disrupt you by that much. Um, so there's, an, there's certainly an ideal amount of it, but I, I'm a, I'm a snow fan in general as well. Okay. I uh, also hate it in magic. So, all right. Uh, Luna Culturists says this photo and it is the, uh, we have this as kind of like an emote within our discord of endurance. It is the look on Ross's face when he is searching through his deck for his reclamation sage and realizes that the reclamation sage is not in fact in his yeah. deck. I think it's, I think that's just properly rated. Everyone loves it as they should. It's properly rated to underrated because it's amazing. <laughs> also, it is an emote way underrated because I fucking love it. I need to make it direct and use it. Anywhere. It's definitely a good emote. Cathal says Stargate. Don't know what that is. I'm, I'm guessing the TV show movie and I'm going to go with uh, probably properly rated because it's one of those things that like, the people who like it really like it and love it, and that's the way that most like fantasy sci-fi uh, realms are. If you're really into Lord of the Rings, you're really into Star Trek, you're really into Star Wars, you fucking love it. And guess what? You're right to love it, and I hope that you love it for your entire life and no one ever makes you feel like shit for loving it. Don't let them. Enjoy your fandom. Embrace it. Relish in it, because it's awesome. 
love that stuff. If you love those TV shows, you love the books, you love the movies, enjoy it, man. This stuff's great. It's the reason it's there. It's entertainment, and it's your opinion is the only one that matters. Another one from KFAT, Tequila. I think tequila is slightly underrated because good tequila in, in good drinks is amazing. It goes down real smooth. You get a, you get a good a good uh, buzz from it, I think is like the right way to put it. You know what I mean? Get a good smooth buzz. It's not harsh in any way, but bad tequila is overrated. Also, chilled tequila is overrated. You need to, you need to try tequila at a little more room temperature. Uh, tequila, yeah, definitely underrated. It is my second favorite spirit of the among the common ones. Wow. Wow. Okay. Common. So yeah, yeah. So my my ranking. Uh. uh so, uh, so there's there's whiskey, rum, gin, tequila, vodka. Am I missing something? I mean, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Like those five are kind. Of, and I think if you were to you know take a random poll of a thousand people, you know they would tequila probably be one of the last ones. Yeah. Well, I think gin would be last for sure. Yes. I think tequila would be second last, and I. Th- I'm not sure how the other three would actually go. I think the some other, some randomness of that. Yeah, yeah but I, I think gin and tequila are actually at the bottom. I have them at the top, so I think those two are certainly underrated, and the other three are overrated. Okay, especially so question, vodka and whiskey. Quick question: You have to order tequila from the bar. How do you order it? Um, do you just get a shot? Of, like, let's say you're getting a shot of oh, tequila. Do you do salt, lime? Like, you know what I mean? Just yeah. Generic, when I, like, when like, I, if I do a shot of tequila, I have salt and lime for sure. Okay. Like, like we're at the bar and I'm like, hey, Ross, I'm getting a shot of tequila. I'm getting you one. What do you want? You know, you're like, hey, salt lime. Yeah. I've ever, do you know how I order my tequila? No. I've never even seen anyone get anything other than salt and lime. It's like either those things okay. or not those things. So I will I will do that. Like, if it comes to salt and lime, I'll do it or whatever. Um, you know, most people get it chilled. They want, like, yeah. chilled tequila or whatever. I want mine room temperature, no salt, no lime. The way you say, you say room okay. temp, no training wheels. I, I thought you were going to say that you, like, put something, like, take it with something else. like you, Put some lime in it or something? Like, like I don't know, like, get, get it, like, lime, like, chili pepper or something, the way yeah. they do with some spicy margaritas or whatever. Um, huh. But, yeah, okay, you just don't use those things. Sure, I've seen that that plenty. But, I, I Cause, one, I, I love lime, and I think, lime, you know, obviously, lime and tequila just go well together. It also matters what I'm trying to do with I, my tequila, I, which I, sounds I weird, right? I the salt. The salt I could do without, but I, I, I'm not going to shoot I like tequila salt. without lime. It matters what I'm trying to do with my tequila, like what my, like where am I going? And I don't mean physically, like what am I trying to do here? Like if I'm just trying to, if it's just you and me, if we're at like a Mexican restaurant eating some chips, watching a ball game and hanging out, yeah, bring me some chilled tequila or whatever, maybe a shot or two here or there. But most of the time when I'm drinking tequila, I'm not driving and I'm on a fucking mission, right? (laughs) Like I'm trying to get messed up or whatever, you know, like I'm not like one of the last times I seriously drank tequila and I remember this, this is where you really see when someone like knows you, you know, as I realized like the depth of one of the depths of friendships, uh, Jonathan Job and I traveled to a, a, an invitational in Atlanta. I think this is when we were in Vegas. I think I was living in Vegas at the time. And this is one of the invitationals that I did really well at day one. I think it was like X one. And I like did not win a match on day two, like Oh five or something. Right. And so then there, I, I remember we, we were both like, you know, this is Saturday. So like we have Sunday and he's like, I don't think I'm gonna play anything tomorrow. I'm like, I don't have to play anything. And he's like, all right, we're drinking tonight. I'm like, cool. So we go to dinner with everybody. And I remember I go, I excuse myself to use the restroom or wash my hands or something. And I come back to my chair at the desk and at the table. And this is, we have like 10 or 15 people there. And I remember I'm sitting like towards the middle and I look down at my seat. There is a crown and seven and then a shot next to it. Right. And I can tell that the shot is tequila. I can tell that there is no salt and no lime and that it is not chilled. And I, so I could just see that it's literally my favorite drink and that shot in the way that I would order it. Like he just knows, right? And we weren't even sitting next to each other. He was a few seats down. I just look over at him and he just locks eyes with me, nods to me and he goes, I'm on a fucking mission. 
I remember I just, I just drank it, put it down. I went, Garcon, like another one. You know, like, it was like, I, 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 I saw the waitress or whatever because she was still at the table. I just dropped them off. I finished it, looked right at her, and put up the, the two symbol, like, you know, like, hey, two more or whatever. I do not remember that night at all. <laughs> I had like no money left in my wallet the next day, which we've, we've established earlier that there was probably a lot. And uh, I don't know what happened. Have, have you, leave uh, it that way. Have you heard the John Mulaney sketch about uh, waking up with no money? No. Yeah. So uh, Mulaney uh, is a recovering alcoholic, and uh, like literally used to just go out to the bar every night and blackout, every night of the week. And uh, and he, so he, you know, obviously has a bunch of stories, but he, he's like, so you know, like you know, it, it's always disappointing when you wake up and like you just have no money on you, or like you know, less money or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I just spent way too much. Or but it was always weirder for me. When I went out at night, blacked out, and woke up the next morning with more money. Because that means I had some, done something to earn money that night. Yeah, that's it, scary. He goes out of just talking about it, like waking up with more money. Um, mm-hmm. But I have one more line of questioning about this uh, tequila business. Sure. And that is, how do you take your margarita? Um, I'm not a big frozen margarita fan. Good. It's, it's too cold. It's Fro- too cold. Yeah, man. frozen just... margaritas suck. Traditional margaritas are great. Uh, yeah. especially jalapeno margaritas. I need top shelf. And like, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be bougie or whatever, or like an expensive date or whatever. It's just like, you can tell the difference between cheap tequila and like higher end tequila. Like if I'm shooting it, like whatever, you know what I mean? I can, I can have the, the lower end stuff, but if I'm like drinking tequila, cause tequila is a good sipping drink too. Like I yeah. think sipping tequila is actually like great. It's, you've got to, it's, it's a lot of flavors. It's really complex. It's very good. Right. Especially Mescal also great for that. Yeah. Yeah, so like I want you know I'm looking to spend more money when that's going on. So, all right. Oh, hold on, I've I have one more. I I had one question and you answered it, but I also have one more point, and that is if you're a person who drinks a decent amount of margaritas, like I have in the past, um, I and you haven't had a Paloma in your life, Ooh. go to a good Mexican restaurant and get a Paloma, which is like a margarita but has grapefruit soda in it and is very very good. Grapefruit, a very underrated flavor, by the way. It's also just like a light drink. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's one of those ones like you look at it, it looks like inviting. It's like it's light. You're not going to feel real heavy when you're drinking it. It's not going to, you know, really overdo or overpower what you're eating, you know, the kind of stuff. So because like that's the thing, too. I don't want anything really heavy. Don't get the Paloma at the Mexican restaurant in Charlotte Airport. It is awful. Okay. <laughs> it is awful. Truly right. awful. Uh, I did not finish it, Tannen. I'm, that's surprising. That's, that's how bad it was. I that did not really finish it. Yeah. All right. Should I get a few more of these done? Uh, this one's from Massimo Nutella. Um, I want to. So Nutella is good, but overrated. I like chocolate a lot. Overrated. All right. GCJ. Yeah. Wow. Shadowlands expansions. Uh, Don't. Know. I'm gonna say. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say underrated. Just because for the. It, this is kind of like the stargating for the people who like this stuff. For the people who want it, this is huge. If they do it right, it's the right kind of expansion. It's huge for them. Um, these games are not for me, and the sole purpose is that it, it's funny to make this joke in a pandemic world, but if I played a game like WoW, I would never leave my fucking house. I would never leave the room <laughs> with my computer in it. So I stay away my life from these end. kinds of uh, yeah, from these kinds of things. All right, uh, Gold has three of them: uh, Dark Souls, uh, Deep Sea Exploration, and playing a deck you know instead of playing the best deck. Uh, Dark Souls never played. No opinion. Deep Sea Exploration really important and awesome you find really cool shit so super underrated and playing a deck you know uh also still underrated somehow 
and I don't know why it keeps being underrated. For me, Dark Souls underrated because it's a it's a different kind of video game, and if you're looking for that kind of thing, because it's 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 a video game that is extremely difficult. Like it's not just easy to beat. Uh, it's very rewarding when you do beat it. Uh, very cool. Deep exploration, meh. Yeah, I, I'm I'm indifferent. What? Uh, playing a deck, you do you know yeah, the weird you stuff know, you find when you go really far down and there's no light. You know what weird shit yeah. evolves there? It's super yeah. cool. Like we could, who knows what we could find there? It's it, to me, it's like. You, just as interesting as space exploration, but like doesn't get near like a tenth of the hype. It could, it could even be a boat, Ross. The things yeah. you find there, it could even be a boat. <laughs> All right, and then playing a deck you know instead of playing the best deck. I'm gonna go with even though you said underrated, I'm gonna go with slightly overrated just because it's this. It's become this thing in and of itself. It's like its own. It's its own living thing where like people are like, oh, you know, don't play the best deck. Play the deck you've been playing with. Play the deck you've been playing with. If you have any time to put into the best deck, there's a reason it's the best deck. And I think that we've, a lot of people uh, don't properly rate just playing a powerful deck, but maybe I'm jaded here because I started seeing a lot better results in my life when I started doing this. Instead of just playing the decks that I like to play and stuff, I just started playing very, very powerful strategies and it worked. Yeah. Uh, KFET, this is a, this is one mostly for you. Hold on. I have one more point. I have one more point to follow up on that. And I think the most important part to recognize in all of this is to just be honest with yourself. Because yes. in on if you go too far on either side, you're going to be wrong. You can use the, oh, I'm just playing the deck I know or the deck that suits my play skill as a crutch to never grow as a player. And you can use the, uh, you know, the other side of things to where I just want to play the best deck to, uh, to the point where, like, you're always going to be unprepared to make yourself unprepared or to give yourself, like, you know, uh, or to give yourself an ex- excuse not to like try to metagame at all and to sort of ignore that that aspect of um, of the game. So re- really, you just have to be honest with yourself. And if you're you know taking it too far in either direction, like just admit it to yourself and do that thing, uh, uh, and don't take it too far. So that that's the real takeaway. Mm-hmm. Be honest with yourself. Uh, KFET pumpkin beer underrated. I love pumpkin and squash and like all those fall flavors. Uh, pumpkin so. The issue is like the mass produced ones are all just sort of pumpkin spice beers, you know, the same way, which is also an underrated thing. I like sweet. It's, it's really just the sweet spice blend, um, pumpkin spice. And I think that's fine. It has a place, but like a good, you know, real like pumpkin flavored beer is really nice if it's well made. Um, and you know, breweries still do it and I'm glad they do. I actually had a, a sweet potato sage saison recently. That was awesome. I'm going to go with overrated. Um, this is from Brent Wagner, our lovely editor. When someone says you should play the best deck. <laughs> um, I don't, depends who it is. <laughs> I, I already answered this one. I think it's overrated. Yeah. Um, I, like if you're just getting advice from like random people or people you haven't been testing with, like that's, that's going to be overrated. But if it's the, the person really trying to be honest with you, then underrated. All right. Zeth four says uncharted and the last of us. I don't know what those are. Okay, I'm going to go with underrated here. Both of these are amazingly, um, let's put it this way, amazingly done and amazingly successful uh, video game franchises. And the fact that Uncharted is now a major motion picture that will be coming out relatively soon with a very big lead actor uh, leading it, Tom Holland, who is Spider-Man, will be doing the main character of, I think, Nathan Drake, I think is the name of it, and The Last of Us. Here's the thing. I haven't played either one of these games, but just from the rhetoric I've heard of them, people talking about them, just the way they're presented, the way they look like I could watch someone on Twitch play through the last of us. And I'm sure I'd be entertained the whole way through. So these are video Uh, games. Yeah. And they're like 
very in-depth, great stories, great characters. Like, The Last of Us is, I think, it's going to be a TV show on, like, HBO. I think they've picked it up or whatever. So uh, another property that is going to transcend its own, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like, where it started. You know, it's it's a, it's it's original small, like, not small beginnings, but the, the area that it encompasses, it's now moved into pop culture. So anytime something like that happens where it, like, transcends itself... It's it's either properly rated or underrated. This has you been know, a uh, a very boomery edition of of, um, of overrated or underrated I'm here. because I've had to skip yeah, like eight of them that I just I don't know what that is. Well, I think the thing is is like we have enough overlap, but then we can cover our, the, the the misses for the other person. You know? Yeah, but I, I've I've had a lot of misses tonight. I feel I I'm just saying I feel oh. extra boomery now. It there's there was a night recently where that was it was like that for me and I just kind of was quiet. All right. Uh, easier like this says playing paper MTG over the webcam. I'm going to go with slightly underrated because if, if this is a thing you need, because like, don't get me wrong. I want to play some paper magic. If this is a thing you need. Th- this is probably enough of a bomb to like get your fix. Yeah. I'm still going to say overrated. It just, it just isn't the same. It's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. It doesn't scratch it itch enough for you. All right. No. Uh, Cathal says, since I've already had a long discussion about this today, bread and its many different forms. Massively underrated because bread is one of the best substances on the planet Earth. 100% agree. Oh my god, bread is fucking great. I actually recently rewatched, uh, uh, God, what is the name of this movie? Give me, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus, versus the world, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, or whatever, or whatever it is. The Scott Pilgrim movie. I literally yeah. just can't blank on it. I can't believe I blanked on the name. I love that movie. But there's a scene in it where he's like, it's, you know, uh, he's dating this girl and she comes over and he makes garlic bread for dinner or whatever. He's like, I love garlic bread. It's great. It's great. I could eat it for every meal. I love it. And she goes, well, then you get really fat. And he's like, what? She's like, yeah, garlic bread's bad for you. It makes you fat. And he's like, bread makes you fat? And he like freaks out because he's like, it's just so good. And like, I just don't care. Like, yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. I would also eat garlic bread for every meal because that is one of the best forms of bread. Yeah. It's just fucking amazing. All right. Yeah. Uh, Bradley says Spotify. Okay, last one. Last one. Sure. Spotify. Spotify. Underrated. Spotify is awesome. Yeah, it's just underrated. Uh, I will say this: it, it's become even more underrated on me since the uh, DCMA stuff, like uh, f- for Twitch and not being able to listen to music. I just want to listen to music while I'm streaming. Yeah, like, that's like half the interaction you get with your chat. I know. So that's it's like really fucking annoying. I've kind of cut back. Also, like it's so awkward. The last couple of times I've streamed, I've I've just been wanting to listen to music so much that I just put he- my headphones in and I'm listening to music that they can't hear. So I just randomly start singing a song or, you know, oh, yeah. doing lyrics. And when, I, when I start streaming again after I fix my computer, that's going to happen. I'm going to have headphones in and I'm, it's just going to be me. You're going to get a lot of acapella from me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before we go, there is one more thing that we want to talk about. We want to talk about our lovely sponsor here at MTG Rants. That's right. It's another it's another edition of Let's Talk About Barrister and Man. Uh, super excited about some of the new products. I actually have a, uh, a, a shipment coming from them I don't know, in the next day or two, I'm trying to find the the email real quick. Uh, I have some new stuff coming from them. Does that mean I have something? Usually, I, I mean, usually there's some know. stuff to I both just, of us. You, you and I are not the same person. Ooh, but, order uh, confirmed. I've yeah. got a shipment of new soaps coming on my way. I've got a lavender, a bay rum, a revisited, a leviathan, and oh, delight. And I said it that way because there is an exclamation yeah. point. It says, oh, delight. I have those so last I'm three things delighted. coming. And I don't know any of those since, but they all sound great. Yeah. I'm really excited because I was kind of running out of uh, soaps. I was getting really low. It's down to like my last one or two. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think I have either half a bar left or one and a half bars. I'm not sure. I, I was about to message them and be like, "Please, sir, can I have some more?" Yeah, I, I can't wait. To, I, I might not read any of the descriptions of them and then like you know take a shower with it and try to try to see what I get from it. 
and then read it afterwards and be like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense, you know, kind of thing. Because I will say this, so far they've been spot on. They've been kind of what I expect. You know, some of them were a little bit, you know, better even than what I expected. They've been kind of great. Uh, you know, love getting clean. You know, it's it's nice uh, after, I, as I've been, I've been running a, around a little bit more, trying to get, stay in shape a little bit better lately because I've been sitting so much during this pandemic, Ross. Like, I just can't stop sitting. So this is helping out a lot. Um, you may have heard me mention this recently. I started, I, I clean shaved again the other day and I was like super, uh, happy that I had the products from Barrister Man to help me out with that, with the, uh, shaving balm, the shaving butter and the shaving brush. Those are, those are probably my three favorite things overall that I've gotten from this. And it, it, it goes in the, in the, it goes down to the subject of these are things that I might not have bought myself, but now that I have them, I can't not have them in the future. Like I am, I am broken. I am ruined. I have to have this. I'm spoiled. And it's awesome. I will say this. The shave was easier and better. My skin felt better afterwards. I didn't have any razor burn or red bumps or anything like that, which I was very worried about doing because I hadn't shaved my cheeks and like, you know, I hadn't shaved my face in, shaved my cheeks. That sounds like I could have been shaving a different part of my body. But I hadn't <laughs> shaved, uh, you know, used, used some help on that one usually, but uh, I hadn't shaved my full, my full face. And I mean, my wife literally did a double take. She had never seen me clean shaven before. Even my dog, like I went to kiss my dog and she kind of like, She's like, where's your fur? You know, like you're you're missing some stuff. So super excited. I got stuff. Um, someone actually put in the Discord the other day, here's your reminder to order your stuff from Barrister Man for your brother because I'm getting him some stuff for Christmas from Barrister Man. And I think that's the biggest thing that I want to say to people out there. I know we're getting very close to the holidays right now. We're only, what, about eight days away from Christmas as it is here. If you're still looking for those last minute stocking stuffers, those last minute gift ideas for the special guy in your life, your boyfriend, your best friend, hey, you know, anyone can use soap too. There's a lot of stuff here that you can give uh, some of the, of the of the female orientation as well. There's a lot of really good gifts here and they're not going to break the bank either. And there's some really cool stuff in here. And look, I'll, I'll say this. Some people might be weird about getting soap in their socks ever. I fucking love that stuff. When people get me like socks, underwear, my favorite pair of underwear is something that I got for Christmas from somebody yeah. else. Yeah. All the things that like you have to buy regularly, but are just a pain in the ass getting those and you know, you're not you're not just gifting them the object itself. You're gifting that you're saving them the you know a yeah. uh, very inconvenient task of purchasing it. Yeah, exactly. That's the real. And gift. so like, and so make sure you check out the site. It's Barrister and Man with two ends. Uh, MTG Rants will get you fifteen percent off uh, from whatever you order from them. So make sure you use that code. Uh, lets them know that we're doing our jobs. But definitely check out their website. Lots of cool stuff going on there. And like I said, there's seasonal stuff coming up, new stuff all the time, and this is uh, handmade by uh, somebody that Ross and I know, a magic player that we know. Uh, really cool, high quality products, and they're safe. I, I'll tell you this, I, I think I've talked about this multiple times, but I like when I look at the ingredients on it and I know all the words on there. It's not some word that I can't pronounce that has numbers behind it, you know, that kind of stuff. So big fan of their products, big fan of the person who owns it, and uh, I'm a big fan of y'all. So make sure at home that you try it out because I think you'll like it just as much as Ross and I have. So Ross, if people wanted to hear more of your rants in the future, where would they go? Best place is my Twitter account. I'm at Ross Hunnids. That's your one-stop shop for all my content. Good place to ask questions. So they try to get back to people whenever I can. Uh, then there's my written content on Star City Games. Articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. This week's article was all about the different versions of Sacrifice and Historic. So there's two John variants and the Rakdos variant. So if you're a Sacrifice you know, aficionado or Sacrifice junkie and you want to be preparing for these uh, events coming up this weekend in Historic, that's a good article for you. 
And then there is my non-written content, so Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the SEG Twitch channel from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesdays and Thursdays, playing whatever formats are relevant, having a good time, taking questions live from the audience. Especially good to watch us during preview seasons and stuff that's coming up because we're playing with the cards, sometimes that are previewed that morning. Um, sometimes we can't quite get them in, but almost always the cards that are previewed the day before, we're playing the next day, so that Monday and Wednesday. So this is a, a great time to start watching if you haven't. Uh, and if you can't watch us live, you can find the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel going up at 5 p.m. Eastern the next day, so Wednesday and Friday instead of Tuesday and Thursday. And then last but not least is my stream, which has been down for a bit, in part for me just taking a little bit of a break, and more recently because my computer is now on the fritz. As soon as I get that fixed... Your computer's taking a break. Yeah, now my computer's taking a break. As soon as I get that fixed, I'll be back up and running. I am uh, uh, Ross underscore Miriam, uh, just my name on Twitch. Appreciate any and all support uh, across any and all of those platforms. Tannen, where can people find more of your lovely bad takes about snow? <laughs> uh, in, in case you're like me and you're a little more cultured and well and well rounded than Ross is, my takes would be found at the Tannen Grace on Twitter and on Twitch, just Tannen Grace. Very easy there. I do stream a decent bit on there. Had some um, high mythic laddering play. Uh, the other day, uh, we're down to like the 400s now, so I, I might be doing it again and try to see if I could run it up. We'll see. I've been going back and forth between Ikoria is back on and uh, a lot of Kaladesh as well lately, so we'll see. Uh, I'm definitely going to play the hell out of Kaladin when it comes in, so I'll be streaming some of that as well, and hopefully Standard will be something that I'm trying out there too. There's some decks I want to try, so uh, I have a Historic deck that I really like right now, so I want to see if I want to stream some of that sometime soon. Um, so you can find me there for the the uh, cast itself. Just MTG rants on, on Twitter. Um, we have a Discord. There's a link on there. I think it's with a pinned message on our Twitter. Make sure you check that out. Discord's great. Um, lots of cool stuff going on in there. Lots of cool talks going on, magic related and non magic related. That's also how you get talked about on the show. You may have heard us talk about that. We have um, questions that we answer on the show. That's a patron only uh, <clears throat> perk. Then there's the overrated, underrated, which we're keeping free right now. We're keeping everyone with that right now, but that giving might change the future. We'll see. Yeah, we're giving you a taste for now. Yeah, the first one's the first one's free, people. All right, that's how we get you hooked. But we're having a lot of fun with it, so we're keeping that kind of uh, non-patron perk right now. But we'll see. But if you want a really long discussion, like a question, there's one or two in there that I've skipped over. Either a we don't want to talk about it on air, or b we don't have time to talk about that very quickly. Um, that's something you can put into a question if you are a patron. Um, we do have a Patreon. Uh, you just search MTG Rants on, you know, slash patron, uh, Patreon on there. Um, we appreciate each and every one of our patrons, and we have something in the works for everyone um, that we're trying to make. Uh, I think I think Brent is making one now. I think he's getting one done in the next week or two, and if it comes out the way we like it, the way we, then we'll be ordering them for a lot of the patrons that have been that have stuck with us through this year because we really really appreciate your support um as for every everyone pretty much that's been a patron we're looking into getting new tokens made with a new name and we'll send them out uh whenever we can uh we're, we're trying to figure that when the best time stuff of that is and we'll, we'll send you out the old ones as well because ross probably are they still in your desk oh yeah the there old they. tokens uh, Ross is still having to gorilla podcast here with like his phone and his laptop and stuff here. So uh, hopefully the sound quality is still high. It, it is a comical sight in my apartment right now. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, hopefully uh, the quality of the show is still is still as high as you're used to here. I know Brent works some magic with with what we've got here. Uh, what we do, he makes the sound way better and way smoother than we actually are. 
So thanks again, Brent. You're, you're awesome. We love you. And uh, we'll you. see each and every one of you all next week. agree. Oh my God, bread is fucking great.